0: Never mind the pod. I'm Christopher. That guy over there is Patrick.
1: Ow! I have fleas? <laughs> you have fleas earlier.
0: We are <laughs> rife with fleas today for some reason. Really today? Lovely uh, day. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, we we're taking a break from our epic uh, Doctor Zhivago viewing.
1: Oh, that's right. Uh, we're we into halftime.
0: Yeah, we're like in the intermission of Doctor Zhivago. Um, so far, it's so so far so good. But we're going to start doing... Um, we're actually going to start doing some movies to add to our little discussions here. And being that that's what we're about to start getting into, this is going to kick off. Even though it's like more about the music than it is about the movie, but we're about to discuss Purple Rain. Yeah. Um,
1: about the movie too, though.
0: Yeah, we want to talk about the movie and the magic of Prince. Um the the album in question. Um so this is nineteen eighty four. The album was released in nineteen eighty four. June June of nineteen eighty four. Yeah. It's a Warner Brothers record. Um this the thing that's I don't remember when um I can't see. Uh, I, don't, I don't know the lineup, but there's a couple of little facts here I have that are interesting about the lineup of the band. But, but this is the first billing that the, that the uh, Revolution got. Was so, it really? Yeah. So, oh, because even 1999 is just Prince. So right? in 1999, he put and the Revolution in reverse on the back of the album mm. as like a tease. But it was never; they were never called the Revolution until this record. So this record was our introduction to the band being the Revolution. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that was the. In a lot of the songs, because I was I was listening to both of these records this you know this past couple weeks, whatever. Being surprised that Spotify had Prince records on there, I don't know why I didn't know that he was on there. I thought he was. Not on any streaming site um but but i was listening to 1999 and uh purple rain a lot of it it to me it seems seamless like both these records are pretty seamless in this in this in as far as like style and the overall like synth synth sound and i was watching this uh this interview with the drummer from the Revolution and Zoro? Doctor Z or something like that. Zorro, yeah, yeah, Zorro. Yeah, uh, and he 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 was talking about Prince and he was giving some insight that I never even thought about. I knew Prince. I know Prince played a lot of the instruments on a lot of the tracks. He played bass, guitar, some drums. Of his
1: early records, it's just him. It's just him. Yeah, like playing think, all the instruments. I think Prince, the self-titled, the one where it's him on the cover. And then the he's blue, like on the back of the a fake blue cover on the, on the white horse. And, and naked. Yeah. He's naked <laughs> on a white fake Pegasus. Yeah. Just being Prince. Like nobody was ready for, for Prince. Really? that was like 1978, I think. Yeah,
0: really, nobody was ready for Prince. Um, <laughs> but he was giving this... Shit. He was talking about Prince... Why did I do that? ...as a beat maker, which mm-hmm. I've, I've never... I never thought of Prince as a beat maker, but the way that the drummer was talking about him was he was literally inventing triggers for 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 uh, electronic drum hits. Hmm. Roland and the companies who started you know before the before the Akai MPCs and before the drum machines and the TR 303s were invented,
1: he was he was. I guess I this... like two people understood that. Right. Everyone's like, "What, what the, the fuck are you talking about?" S <laughs> eighty. So basically, we'll just
0: give it a generic thing, and it's, <laughs> we'll call it a drum machine. So before drum machines were invented. Bands like Kraftwerk and um, you know other people that were coming up with the synth music, they were having to figure out how to electronically trigger.
1: They a, definitely were pioneering. Yeah, shit.
0: Kraftwerk is really is, is owed all the credit for coming up with this kind of a, a, idea, but Prince was was probably taking the cues from Kraftwerk, mm-hmm. but he had to actually invent his own like MIDI synth hits when you know what the drum
1: hits for the for the synthesizers oh yeah triggers triggers yeah like you basically and, hit anything right and it'll make a, a synthetic sound that is a sample a program or a program yeah.
0: that's built into the synthesizer right and so he was describing it as like an inventor of like he's like a beat maker and like you know beyond just a musician
1: he's probably like like you've seen those I don't know if you ever saw that movie This Is It it's like Michael Jackson getting ready for his last tour that never happened and it's like mostly filmed during rehearsals at like Staples and when he's up there he's explaining to his band like what he wants and like he's I'm sure Prince did a lot of that too. Like, he's he's conducting in a way, but just. He like He's fucking bebopping and scatting, is what he's doing. <laughs> he's telling his band, like, I want a chicka, chicka, chicka right here, or I want to go. Poof, 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 you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like verbalizing. He's conducting and it. Dance. Yeah. But in a different form. It's yeah. like a. I don't want to. I guess tonality is not necessarily the right word, but basically. And it's not just someone. But it's not like he was just beatboxing it. Like he actually has sounds that he's creating. Yeah. And then he probably, if you think about, I mean, that technology is super primitive in 1984. But the fact that he was probably, and at this point he had cut, he had cutting edge everything, top of the line, you know, equipment. Even though this was like between 90, 1999 and this album, where his like real breakout, like you know, prior to this, I don't think he was a huge star. Um, at least in the, the realm of what a star even is. Um, right. Yeah. He was,
0: he was, um, I guess what his biggest, uh, who he owed his biggest, like introduction to is the Rolling Stones taking him on tour. Mm-hmm. So that's where he got his biggest, you know, uh, exposure but according to everybody Which was not received well He wasn't received well he got booed and you know what's funny is like I actually was supposed to go to that concert. They played here at the Coliseum mm-hmm. and one of my dads one of my aunts knew that I was a huge Rolling Stones fan and wanted me to take me to the concert so she bought me a ticket and my dad was like, nope, he ain't going <laughs> So I was like denied well, it was 1982 wasn't it It was like 82 83 yeah, yeah. so I was about... 11 12 years old and then since i didn't get to go since my dad wouldn't let me go um they took my cousin seth instead he got to go in my place and he was fucking younger than me i was like god damn it so yeah that would have been life-changing yeah i would have been able to see prince you know before anybody knew who the fuck he was which i would (laughs) have been amazed by but anyway um so yeah listening to 1999 and listening to this record I feel like they're they're all coming from the same time period of his inventiveness of like the style and the sound so he's 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 using a lot of the influence that he had to make 1999 because even before 1999 like Controversy that's a fucking huge song even though it came out before either of these records yeah and it has a lot of that like same that funk and rhythm that he's putting together but he's like finessing it more on 99 Mm -hmm. you know because on 1999 you're hearing rock music you're hearing the funk you're hearing like the even there's some
1: ballady stuff on there well i think that uh, my earliest memory of prince was little red corvette because that song was big like that was yeah huge huge thing um and the video was really huge in the sense of that was like your introduction to prince like I mean, I might have heard, you know, Controversy or, um, I don't know if, um, what's the, I think Dirty Mind, he's got some hits on Dirty Mind, but they're small. Yeah. I think there's like, um, what is that song? When you remind like that was like a that was like a new wave like it it sounded like yeah it almost like sounded like he was and I, i'm sure he was really hip to it but it almost seemed like he was part of the west coast in like a song like when uh, when you remind like to me that's like and especially in the time period like a lot of the bands that were playing like at the starwood where it was before like like glam or heavy metal was really taking over. Cause a lot of those bands like quiet riot were playing there like Motley crew. But then there was like the plimsolls were playing there and like the beat right. and like, there was this like, like the cars, you know, like the, the kind of new wave pop, um, power pop, if you will. And some of his songs, like they just have a different regionality. You know, like, like, John Cougar Cap sounds like he's from where he's from, but yeah. Bruce Springsteen definitely sounds like he's from New Jersey, which I think born in the USA came out the same year. Um, like 84, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I don't think that Prince definitely had his identity, but it wasn't like a regional, like, I mean, Minneapolis. And at this time there was, you know, like Husker do were playing and, uh, the replacements were, were playing. They had records out. You know? Right. Um, but it's like it's there's a certain it's like his sound just basically b- branches way beyond regionality but it's also not like like it's tasteful influenced it's tastefully influenced i guess in a sense where he's not just blatantly trying to like copy you know a sound and whatever yeah,
0: and i think that if you list if you if you you can't peg him to anything because in in what I was in what was coming to mind as far as like I was I was giving myself kind of a list of like what his influences were and Rick James and Sheik oh God. and Slave and James George Brown Cousin, for his like stage presence and then Jimmy for like the rock sensibility about it but then if you listen to songs like Delirious it's it's almost like a rockabilly song it's like yeah. he had like you just mentioned the Plimsouls. so if you were at a show where X was playing and the Plimsouls were playing and the Cars were playing and all these different bands they all have like a pop sensibility to them but then they've all carved out their own little like niche, genre yeah. and he was just like fuck I ain't even trying to be about a genre. I'm going to make hard and fast dance funk music with all these different elements. And like breakdown delirious,
1: that's straight up rockabilly song, Mm -hmm. you know, and then crazy. Like it almost sounds like, like a Oingo Boingo or Walla Voodoo could have did that song because of even the sound of like the, the keys that are, you know, it's like, it's cartoonish. It's crazy. Yeah. And that songs in, um, Is it Things Are Tough All Over? It's a Cheech and Chong movie, and it's so bizarre because it's a really horrible movie. (laughs) But that song comes out, and it's just like, what? But it matches the... Like whatever you're watching on the screen, because it just it does not make that, any sense. That synth, that synth sound
0: is very encapsulated in that '80s imagery too. Yeah. You know, like you hear that synth sound on top, and it's just like that's a very '80s sound to
1: it. And he was probably playing, wearing like a leather bikini, <laughs> naked, like just that, and like on the stage with probably like a little a little mask.
0: Yeah, he had a, a lace mask. Up. I'm like, what the um, fuck? And then and then you have like a, a let's pretend we're married. And that's a that could
1: be
0: Brothers. Any well, but not only that could be any new wave band. hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, like OMD or Spandau Yeah, it has like a very like new wave sound to it. It was was even covered by like it was that band School of Fish. They did that Hmm. song Three Strange Days. They did a cover of Let's Pretend We're Married, and their their cover sounds like it's a like it belongs to them. Yeah, you know what I mean? Even though it's a Prince song, and then he did. Uh, you know, the Sinead O'Connor hit Manic that he wrote Monday. Manic Monday. So you have all these like
1: you can, and you can adjacent, hear his, you can hear his language like in those songs where, and I think there's demo versions of him doing those. You know what else he wrote, which is weird is that song for, um, I think Shaka Khan made it big the if, I, feel for you. I Feel For You yeah but you hear his versions and it's like of any well, of those songs and it's like that's a fucking Prince song she like, covered I Feel For You mm-hmm. th- his song yeah yeah but I don't think his, that was ever released no it's it's on some like B-sides oh, and because oh, oh, okay. I've heard it and it was like I never knew that he wrote that song yeah but that, then that when that was you hear a, it it's like that's a fucking Prince
0: it's crazy it's a like, number one track for her mm-hmm. you know a number one single for her um uh, and then, like on this, on Purple Rain, Take Me With You, he wrote that for Apollonia. Mm. And. That was supposed to be on her debut record. And then he was like... He pulled it and threw it on Purple Rain. Yeah. You know, even though she's the... Lead, she's... I don't want to say she's the lead.
1: She's the co-lead on that. And that's a big... I mean, that's that's a huge song. But that isn't even close to like... I mean, When Doves Cry was the song. No, When Doves Cry is the... like, that was the title track. That was the... But yeah, but I mean, that one supersedes yeah. any of those songs.
0: Yeah. When um, Doves Cry, the video, that... that that beat there's no baseline mm-hmm. in one does cry it's just the beat um, and the synths on
1: top you know but um and i i think that's why like cuz like i said like i remember seeing the little red corvette video um you know it's funny and i'll never forget this and i don't even know how this was a possibility because of you know the millennium uh But I'll never forget New Year's Day on the year 2000 on MTV2. This is when MTV2 was still kind of new, and they actually used to just show videos. Mm -hmm. It was almost like it reminded me of what – remember Indie 103 FM? When that first came out, it was like – it was almost a long playlist because you would hear it repeat. But there was no DJ, and it was all good songs. It was like – I remember discovering that station, just going through the dial, being tired of, I'm sure I was playing tapes at the time, whatever vehicle I was driving. And then I remember finding this station, I was, I, it, was it had to have been, cause they used to play like Gang Four and The Cure and Joy Division, but you wouldn't hear that on like an FM dial like big channel radio. Yeah. Cause if you run into that, like on KXLU or KCRW, it just doesn't, it doesn't have that. Like it's almost like radio and I'm sure there is something, but it's almost like anything left of the dial and radio is like, it's not mastered or something. And then, well, it, the frequency that it's on is not coming through as strong. Yeah, so you're exactly. getting like a, a low level quality
0: of the sound too. Yeah. yeah. Cause I listen to, there's a station at CSUN. Mm, oh yeah. Cause
1: Cal State Northridge. It's. I think it's just called K. Whatever. Whatever that. is Yeah, something. whatever
0: that station is, and it's like like Nick Harcourt's over there now. Yeah. He does a show on there, and it's, there's no commercials. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of like the way indie was. Yeah. Um, and they'll just play songs. yeah out here. I get it when I'm working, like, in Burbank oh, yeah, or, like, in the yeah. Valley or whatever. Um, and it comes in so faint. And then when you get closer, it it's comes like, in boom. super nice. But they don't have any commercials. Boom. But sometimes they do have, like, it's like a recorded, like, set. Yeah. And they'll re- replicate it's like it. Like podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So, like, they'll replicate it. And you're like, oh, I know what's going to come next. And I, I'll change it. But overall, it's a good station to be aware of. I wish I knew the call number. Um, it's, like, eighty not 88.1 but like 88.5 88, uh, 88, five or something like that yeah. 88.3 88.5 <laughs> something like that um yeah and they'll do that kind of stuff too they'll play yeah. it. they'll play what you were but, saying you
1: heard it on there no no no, no. I, I was i brought up the radio station because i was trying to think of like when M, i was relating it to mtv2 like when mtv2 oh, right. started it was just video like when they show like They'll have like 120 hours. They that used to be a show, which probably still is, or then it's called Nocturnal, where it's just long blocks of videos, yeah. straight. Yeah. Um. So this is when MTV Two was like that. But on New Year's Day, so January first, the year 2000, they showed 1999's video. That's the only Oh, for thing 24 they showed hours all day. It for 24 awesome. hours. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I remember that. Yeah.
1: And I remember watching <laughs> it, and then like. Like it came on again, and it was like Groundhog Day, and it was like, like it was like I think this is if if I think this is what it is, it's awesome. And yeah, I remember you know maybe just for kicks and was doing other things, just let it play for a while. But then later I was like, before the day, I think I remembered, could have make I could be making this up, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure I went back and checked like hours later, and it was still playing. But anyways, um, and the reason I brought that up is because. Before Purple Rain, even with the hits, and you saw like this because the band was weird. Like, they have a fucking keyboard player, or I don't know if it was a keyboard player. I know it was Wendy and Lisa were in the band. That's what they went by. And they were like guitar. Well, Lisa was player. the keyboard player, she was in the band first. But wasn't there another? Who was the guy that was dressed up like a doctor? He was another play synth another, player. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So they had that guy. He had Zorro and the drums in yep. the back with that big hat. And then I don't know the guitar player's name, but he wore like a head a headband. And he looked kind of like a Jimi Hendrix wannabe. Yeah. Uh, played a Strat and everything. So it was really like the visual aspect was was like it was different. You know, it was, he was almost like an Adam and Ants kind of. Just because they were, they looked real animated, you yeah. know what I mean. It was, it was like village and the music people. Was so
0: different. It's like village people. Like there's a different character. Yeah. You know, there's a guy wearing scrubs the whole time. Uh,
1: Jay Prince would have been the cop. He would have been the cop. <laughs> <laughs> a, a pantless, assless chaps cop. Between the cop and the the hardware, the construction worker, but with just the tool belt, just the <laughs> <laughs> and boots. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but um, but no because then the movie came out and that was like it was the perfect platform amazing music showing his band playing live at first Avenue in downtown Minneapolis which was just forever iconic you know yeah um, but it was just a huge introduction to America of who Prince really was and it was huge. But I, and I think it's still, I don't remember, I mean, we were too young to know if it really separated anybody, but I think Prince came at a really weird, pivotal moment, being that it was 1984, you got Van Halen putting out the last record with, with, I almost called him David Bowie, with the David Lee Rock, (laughs) um, which was huge, Um, born in the USA, like there was all these things that kind of divided people. Albums, you know, right? Yeah, because I didn't like Bruce Springsteen. I still kind of, I mean, I have appreciation, but I don't necessarily like him. But I remember being at school and, like, yeah, everyone was into Madonna and into Van Halen, obviously, Jump was everywhere, Prince. But if people were listening to like Bruce Springsteen, like, they were different, you know. Yeah. And the reason why I bring that up is I don't remember Prince ever dividing people the way that he did when he played the Super Bowl halftime show, which was probably one of the best performances the, on TV. The best performance of any halftime but show it divided ever. people. Like, people were upset, you know. Oh, yeah, I see what and you're and saying. And it was yeah. like, that didn't, I don't remember that being the case early on you know what I mean when he was getting I
0: mean if you think about it in terms of his bad reception as as opening for the Rolling Stones I guess that's kind of an indication of what the separation is because here you have a rambunctious you know really really risque artist coming out and and opening for this like We talked about this before about the Stones being an adopted American band, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think the reception was poor in the States. I don't think his reception was poor anywhere else. It may have been, but I know for for sure that here he got a poor reception. And, you know, it's the stigmatism. He's like he's a black guy doing rock and roll. It's like Jimi Hendrix. And yeah, like him. a Jimi Hendrix. And it's like none of them ever had a warm reception here. Jimmy didn't get a warm reception, so he had to go overseas and make a career for himself. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can see that that never really went away. He just was way the, – the people who accepted him outnumbered those who didn't throughout his career. And then I guess the Super Bowl brought that notion back. back like, out. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, oh, wait, why is this guy performing – um, you know, but I mean, I think at this point anybody who performs on a super Bowl halftime show is going to is going to get flack. It's like no matter who you put up there, someone's going to fucking complain. I think that's just the way it is nowadays. Yeah. Um, I sure remember that one
1: being a little different, but yeah, maybe I paid
0: attention to it. I, I wish I fucking didn't turn that job down. I was the <laughs> that was the first Super Bowl I didn't do in a string of like five consecutive ones. Yeah. Um the i wanted to talk about the the 99 1999 really quick the when i was watching that interview with uh, zorro or dr z as, as he goes by um they were on tour and they had stopped at a specific hotel because the sign outside the hotel said free hbo <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, we can," you know. He's like, Move "That was a up. big deal back then." Yeah. To get like a premium cable channel, mm-hmm. and I guess it was like a premiere weekend for a Nostradamus, uh, uh show, uh-huh. and it was all about the fact that in the year 2000 the world was going to end, mm-hmm. and so everyone was, you know, at their own rooms. They had checked into the hotel. Everyone watched the same program in their own rooms song. and then the next day they all were like you know he was like you know like water cooler talk. everyone was like hey did you catch that that uh doc you know that show last night whatever what do you think about it blah 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 and then I guess when one of the guys because he, he, according to him him and Prince were friends before the band hmm. I don't know what how they met or how they knew each other but <laughs> yeah they had to have been playing in bands before They're, yeah and they, they were just together. good friends where he could have casual conversations with him like that and uh he was like hey did you catch that documentary and he was like yeah i wrote a song about it <laughs> it's just like had the entire the entirety of the song written done And he said this is the way he worked he would walk into the studio everything would be in his head he would just dictate what you had, what your job was, what, how, you know, what, and if he had to, he'd show you how to play it. Yeah. And then he would just, all the arrangements were done, and then the interviewer accent. was asking him, he was like, what about like a, like a jam session? He was like, That's, that was where his jam sessions, mm-hmm. even in a jam session, he already had everything figured out, and he always had, all his structures were always these lengthy songs, mm-hmm. You know, like, he was saying, like, Computer Blue was originally, like, 14 minutes or something. Like that.
1: Well, fucking controversy, once you, once you get through, like... Like, the song itself is short when it's the whole, like, verse-chorus, verse-chorus bridge. Right. And it's catchy, and it's just got that, like, that hard... Like, almost like hot chocolate funk, you know, but yeah. sped up. A little bit more frantic. The whole rest of that song just goes into this... Like, it's almost like... It's almost like if it's, like, fucking like R&B kraut rock or something it's just this ethereal you know the bass and the drums are just playing this rhythm and yeah. then it's just this little keyboard uh, you know solo kind of if that's even the instrument that, that it is it sounds like just a you know synth yeah um, I mean it was all synth heavy so yeah shit I remember reading in, I think it was in the LA Times. I don't remember when I used to read it. Uh, now there's fucking front page news, tiddlywinks championship. <laughs> That's when I sent you that Tiddle- day. I couldn't believe Tiddle- it. I was so disgusted. I was like, are you fucking? There's just this picture Champs. of these two guys. And one guy's like leaning over. and yeah. He's doing some bullshit. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And hey. then it said I read the little caption of the of the picture. Fucking tiddlywinks. It's I was li- like, Tiddlywinks, <laughs> so of course I have to read the article. Headline and then before movies. I know it, I look, it was on the fucking front page. <laughs> When it's headline news, it's headline this news. This is, they think that we're living in the same <laughs> world. You know what? them the story of tiddlywinks, everything's fine. Uh, but anyways, I don't even know why I'm talking about that. Uh, well, it was headline news at the time.
0: Um,
2: <laughs> this was just a <laughs>
0: Ago. <laughs> no I'm saying it was headline news at the time right now that you thought about it you're like I need a recap um I so need the previews so the uh, the Everyone wants to know what the hell is what is purple rain like? What is what the hell is purple rain? His obsession with just the color purple. And he says it in 1999. Mm. He says the sky was all purple. You know, there is were pe- that
1: like a tip of the hat to Jimi Hendrix too? Though we,
0: the, well, this is what everyone thinks. It's like they think it's Jimi Hendrix, but they were pointing out that in the song Ventura Highway. Mm. Uh, by American. America, they say "Purple Rain," Really? and he says, "Sorry, boy, but I've been hit by Purple Rain." And oh. if you if you go back and you look at, because they talk about fucking lizards in the sky and shit, you know, America was on some fucking acid at they're the time. They were American, yeah. And so it's they asked from France. Yeah, they asked the singer from America, like, "What does this line mean?" Like, because they're trying to. F- Find out—is this where Prince got galactic? it from? And he was like, "I don't know." But when you go back and you read the lyrics and listen to the song, that there, there, there's I, I in I would deduce that "Purple Rain" is a is a hit of acid. Hmm. or the effects of... That could be the name. ...of the hit of acid. It used to be... The acid used to be blue or whatever. Yeah, and um, so I'm like, oh, that had to be because he's like, he's like, I've been hit by purple rain. Hmm. This is the 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 you know the Ventura Highway lyric, not Prince. Um, but then Prince says it in... He doesn't say rain. He says the sky was all purple in 1999. So they were just like, it eventually it got to purple rain. And in the movie... Oh, that's what he gives credit to Wendy and Lisa for writing it they did not write this he mm-hmm. wrote this song but an interesting fact about um, so so the, the Purple Rain song was recorded during a live performance they did a benefit show for the Minnesota Dance Company at First Avenue mm-hmm. and it was like August of 1983 and Wendy the guitar player that was her live debut in the band, mm. so she did. She wasn't on during the 1999. Oh, okay. Lisa was the uh, keyboard player. Right. So Wendy gets introduced um, during that performance. This is before they recorded the album. She's the keyboardist or the guitar player. Wendy's a guitar player. Okay, um, she was 19. Damn, when she did that, and so the drummer Do- uh, Zoro, his brother, recorded the the. They didn't. They didn't plan on recording it. He happened to record it. Mm. And then, that's what I was telling you earlier when I was asking you if you heard anything similar between Faithfully by Journey
2: Mm. and Purple Rain.
0: And so they went back and listened to the recording because the drummer's brother was like, hey, I recorded it. I recorded specifically that song. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, And so Prince heard the playback and then he thought that it sounded like a Journey song. Mm. So he called up, um, is the is it the keyboard player, Jonathan Kane? I think he was the keyboard maybe, player. Maybe. Anyway, he called up a member of Journey and was like, hey, listen to this song. Tell me if it sounds too similar to Faithfully. And then Journey, the guy in Journey was like, it shares a couple of chords, but no, not even, you know, no, yeah. there's not really any real similarity to it. But just to have the fact that his mind is so musically orientated that even his even his own song after the fact of playing it then he recognized that it may have sounded like something else. You know what I mean? Like
1: well, Yeah, it's like a reflection of his of his just listening to every like you could tell it's in his music of where and again it's it's not like he he's not one of those artists that just was like, okay, I'm in basically living within the encyclopedia of music my writing is going to be, you could just tell like, oh, well, he must have been, he was going through this period where he was writing folks, folky stuff, or he was writing hard funk. It's like he put it together in a way where it just ended up sounding like he he makes his own sound. Um, And I think by Purple Rain, that's when it's kind of like I don't want to say established because he gets hard and funky again. Like he was early later in his career, like he around does, yeah. like sign of past sign of the times, you know, um, that, that's why I was bringing up the LA times. So what I was going back to, when you're talking about him jamming so I read this article you remember when he played at the forum it was like 19 shows or something yeah 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 and like it wasn't in a row but it was all close like yeah maybe it was like four days and then two more. I think it was off. like
0: three weekends in a row or I mean it was weekend consecutive like weekend two and a half weeks yeah
1: no no it was like he would play like Tuesday through oh, Thursday. Today. Oh, did he? okay. And it was, I think it just had to do with the bookings of the venue. Like, he probably would have did it all straight. Like, maybe it was a Laker game or a hockey yeah, game. You huh? know, yeah, you know, like whatever season. Would, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it was in the spring or the summer or what. But I remember reading this article, and it was going through talking about that he was bringing up guests. And it was right in the middle of it. So, when this this uh, story came out. So, he had already done like half of the shows or something. Right. But it was saying that the shows are about three to three. three. Three and a half hours long. And not just that, he would go when the show was over because he had, like, Sheila E. there. He had, like, all these big acts that were just coming and showing up. Whoever was in town, it was just, like, a big fucking party. And then after the show, they would go into the dressing room. And he had, like like, a setup built in there. And it was after-hours jam sessions where he would sometimes jam longer than the show that he just played at the fucking forum. Like, he played almost longer in the backstage. (laughs) Yeah,
0: with his friends.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, just his, like, he could not stop playing music, Yeah, even if he tried. I think a lot of people have those stories of him, like,
0: either private parties or private, you know, just, he just would not stop. Like, he just had the energy to just go and go and go and go and and jam with anybody. Yeah. You know, he would play with anybody who wanted to play. And I got to, I actually got to work with Sheila E. A long time ago, it was, uh, uh, it was the Alma Awards with Lou Horvitz. Yeah. It was, uh, she was the music director for it. And, and I got to talk to her. I got to meet, you know, I got to meet her. I got to work with her. Briefly, It was like a couple of months or something like that. And since, since we had to do rehearsals and all that, and I got to meet her brothers. Her brothers were all musicians too. They mm-hmm. actually performed on the thing too. And like, it was just so, it was so weird because I know she's her own person. She's her own star. But the only thing went through my mind is like, this is a Prince band member. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, even on her. She probably felt that way too,
1: to a degree.
0: Yeah, I mean, even on her records, he's on there. You know what I mean? And, well, like, she,
1: on uh, Love Bazaar, it's a Prince. It's she, erotic. You know what I mean? It's like... That's that's what was her springboard. And right. not that she wasn't... She, she had her own talent. She was worthy of her own talent, but, like, that was... I don't know. It was almost like how he... And it, it seemed different, but, like, you know, like Apollonia, before that, Vanity, like, almost, like, protege slash... Um, I don't know because I don't know anything about him personally, but, like, it almost seemed like... Um, what's the word? Um, what's the word? When it's, like, someone that you're just... That inspires you, that you just want around. And then you start... Like a muse. A muse, exactly. Yeah. Like, they, it was almost like... It almost seemed like Apollonia and Vandy were, like, muses. And Sheila E. doesn't seem to have that same thing. It was almost like... It seemed like they wrote together, and probably because he found different rhythms from her that she just seemed like she had. I mean, she's a yeah, She player. Was, she you know, was like, also,
0: like, much more powerful of a person. She still is. I mean, yeah, she's much more powerful she like
1: this pretty of, face, a, like...
0: of not just a musician and a singer. It was like her... That was her essence. He brought out her essence even mm-hmm. though she already had it. Apollonia and Vanity were more like projects. Yeah. And it's funny that he uses... All... That he uses Morris. In the movie to play As the his... role, but that's him. <laughs> yeah, him. that's like yeah, yeah. That's
1: literally Prince. He's Morris isn't the one who put those girls' pants together. It was all Prince. That's what's crazy about the movie too, because he does let that out too. When he, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's such a like like probably just a little peek into his own life. Whatever you want to believe is fantasy or or take as, like, hard facts. Mm -hmm. But the way that, yeah, like, he's fighting with the time and they're rivals, but they do have some kind of care for each other. You know, like, at the end where Morris, when his dad has a heart attack. Yeah. And then because Morris stays walking past, that's when he bombs on stage. Um, He's in trouble with his relationship. And then... The time walks; they're getting to go on stage, and that's when Morris was like, "How's the family?" Yeah, but to then he stops. Laugh. Yeah, and then he goes, and then he looks, and he's like, "Man, he feels like shit that he yeah. did that." But he has to live to live up to this persona. And then Prince later, when he like, pimp slaps Apollonia with the backhand, even right. though she's fucking like could destroy him. Yeah. Um. But uh, it's like it's all facets you know, coming out in in him. Um but that was that movie was huge, like a huge like and he was just likable, even though he was weird. It was like and then seeing him, like, he didn't all you see is hair and a big old motorcycle. <laughs> like and then he's wearing some satin pants, like looking like a fucking he looked, Ad- like, you word, know what? Mariachi, he like, looked like
0: he could have come from Adam and the Ants. He probably was back. He, he was in the band and he just he fucking escaped or but, something.
1: And that's the genius too of his style, where he had that new romantic like kind of look, but definitely. it was like just him. Like no one looked like Prince. Yeah. But yet, I mean, like look at the like the singer from Spandau Ballet. They all did. They had like those curls, and he definitely. Maybe, and that's probably, like, him, because they really were from Minneapolis. And they really did do something for that music scene. Definitely. Um, But it was just so different. Like, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't hard. Like, imagine if, if they're from Philadelphia, they would be way more, like, I would think, less prone to the new wave music. Because they already just have that richness in the in the underbelly of Philadelphia, you know, with like yeah. Curtis Mayfield and um is, is Sun Ra's not from Philly, is he? From Philadelphia? I don't know where that fool's from. <laughs> he's fucking from space. <laughs> space <laughs> is the place for <laughs> him. I've seen it. That man was freaky. <laughs> Ooh, Sun Ra <laughs> our pancakes. Um
0: that shit was he's just so fucking cool. Um that's anyway, funny. we were we were talking about the movie. We were talking about. Uh,
1: we're talking about him, uh, like Miss Minneapolis. Like yeah, the Minneapolis putting him on the map. How they sounded like they sounded like from like I don't know where that came from. Uh, I don't think. I mean, he he had to have been. For one thing, Minneapolis, I think, has a history of at least being a a big Midwest stop for or it's not even necessarily mid it's kinda of like the far furthest ends of the East Coast Midwest, you know. Yeah. Um but the um no, the um like I think I think every national act went through there. Either they played in Saint Paul or Minneapolis. So I don't think that yeah. any of those bands, anybody that was making music out there back then was deprived of, you know, the network of music because they didn't travel the same way. I mean, there was records and record stores. Yeah. Everything that was going on in the, you know, the late 70s, like it was power pop. It was, you know, post-punk. It was the new waves turning into the new romantics. Um and then at the same time, you also have, like, to me, I hear when I think of people like John Cougar uh, uh Bruce Springsteen, you know, those, those guys almost seem like new interpretations of, like, the Warren Zevons and, like, all of the AM radio, like, hit makers mm. a decade before them. Yeah. Or even you know like like tom petty like you know they're they coming into their own around that time and i think prince was doing the same but he didn't also seem to have the same kind of like um like you weren't that familiar with his with his older material unless you knew who he was prior to that right and i'm it, i can't imagine like anybody outside
0: of minneapolis being knowledgeable of like his first couple of records and that's, you know, you've seen him on tour. Like, If you happen to be at that Rolling Stones show and caught him and had any kind of inclination, it was like, hey, this guy's got something.
1: Yeah, well, sure then,
0: everyone saw it. And then go look for his records. <laughs> and then you and then you walk in the record store and you just see him shirtless on the cover with his big-ass blown-out perm. Naked.
2: Like,
1: you know, how was that with the director of photography? It's like, okay, you're going to go shoot this guy, this little guy named Prince. Uh, we want you to take his pictures for his artwork front and back. This is what you get. And then he gets there and it's like, Okay, like (laughs) what's what's gonna happen? He's like I'm gonna be naked and you can take a picture of me on a horse. I'm I'm gonna sit on this white horse wings because it's really a Pegasus. (laughs) But again, I'm gonna be naked. Yeah. It
0: nudity is a must.
1: And uh, it's just I don't know. It's it's perverse. It's borderline perversion. Um, it's not even borderline it's crossed the line he crossed the line with the horse Pegasus <laughs> nakedness naked on a horse but it's a <laughs> I'm just
0: glad Dave Chappelle didn't choose that route I'm glad he chose the uh, blouse's
1: route <laughs> it was some outtakes um, uh, but you know what I mean like like his the richness of you know just his musical palette per se it was like it's just so diverse and then how like the time that was like his band like he had so many other ways to get because he just had and, and if his work ethic was probably a lot harder than it was when he was starting to as he finished meaning that he just couldn't stop playing ever um it's like he probably just had way too much music like to like he had to get it out got to spit it yeah. out it's almost like you know what i got to create a whole second band that i'm not even going to be in because yeah. i just got too much and and that the time was like that was like r&b chart hit singles you know and it was like was, it was more he was his
0: own motown
1: urban yeah, you know Yeah, he was
0: his own motown. He's got the time putting out a record. He's got a rev he's got the Prince of the Revolution has a record. He's got Vanity Six with a record. He's writing songs for fucking Sinead O'Connor, Chaka Khan. It's like the epicenter that he the you know, his prolific like uh need to get all this music out at the same time. He's doing it on these different channels and then he makes a fucking movie.
3: Yeah.
0: And there was a there's a thing on the you know, when you talk, when you look at the Billboard charts, the number ones, the Grammy Awards, he was Prince became the third artist after Elvis and the Beatles to have the number one album, number one single, and number one film in the United States all at the same time.
3: Mm.
0: You know, so the Beatles had the album, the film, and then obviously the, the records and Elvis, the same thing. And then here he was the third one to ever achieve that. Yeah, You know, when you think about the, the magnet, magnetism of like, or the magnanimousness of like, a Beatles, you put the Beatles up there, obviously Elvis is up there. Mm-hmm. And to me, he's just as much, you know, worthy of that of that kind of like hierarchy of where he belongs in the, in the history of music. Um, This album obviously is like a historical cultural uh, significance. So it's in the library of Congress. It's actually in the library of Congress for both the album and the film. Hmm. They both qualified. Um, You know, I don't know the exact, number of weeks it spent number one on billboard or whatever but it was it was one dove's cry that was the number one hit the other ones reached number two um but yeah you know you just think about like he had all this going on
1: and he had songs by other people going on at the same time Mm -hmm. like it's crazy but and too it almost was like because i mean what was the beatles first movie was it a hard day's night I don't know. the order helped. It wasn't helped. It was probably help. Hard Day's Night. But like they, I think they had already did, you know, the, what's it called? By the, when, by the time they made their first movie, they had already done, um, they had the show. Oh, yeah. So they were already like, like Prince didn't have that moment before, like Purple Rain was kind of his moment. Right. Like, and it was so all it was self, like, it was all self done.
0: It's I mean, like self made.
1: He was on what label though? Warner Brothers. Yeah, that's huge, and he was on Warner Brothers from the get-go, which that had to take a lot of like, like whoever was his Clive Davis had to be someone that just saw in him for to begin with what was going to happen, and yeah. to not even really like, like no no like what he was going to you know become because you still have uh, what is it around the world and. Around the world in a day. Yeah, like that was that introduced a whole other side where it was like, like it's still Prince, and but it's just it's almost that like it's like a sleeper evolution I guess of his music you mm-hmm. know some people you look at their music and like say someone like I'm, I keep thinking a lot of Stevie Wonder as we're talking about Prince because there's a lot of similarities Stevie Wonder making his own music having such a big influential impact and being just that creative mind that just put out like Tons of just amazing music that just crosses into everybody's like musical uh, pools that they enjoy. Like it's it's kind of undeniable music. But then, and I'm not too, I'm not familiar enough. But it seemed like Stevie Wonder once he got to a certain point in the mid '80s or whatever when his career is kind of slowing down. It's almost like he hit a sound, and then the rest of it just kind of rides on that wave. Right, um, and Prince Prince did never it hit a sound. Just kept evolving. Yeah. Like it just did not stop. I,
0: re- I remember. I think it was. I think I was working at the warehouse when Diamonds and Pearls came out. That uh, was huge. Yeah, it was huge. And I and I actually this was the time I started working in the videos, and one of the girls in the video was in a relationship with somebody who i worked with mm. and I actually actually mark and i helped her move <laughs> we moved she was either diamond or pearl in the video i can't remember which mm. i think she was diamond i think she was lori diamond um and her girlfriend was our producer on the on some of the videos he worked on mm. and one night we got to go to grand slam and it wasn't grand slam yeah Glam Slam? Glam Slam.
1: <laughs> fucking eating <laughs> Denny's breakfast. i Denny's right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was not eating really <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> moons over Miami. Full. Oh, yeah. And then we went over to fucking Grand Slam. <laughs> well, uh, it was on Grand.
0: Um, so we went to Glam Slam. And I think, I don't know if Sanji so- may have been there. I can't remember. But we're just hanging out. It's like 11, 1130 at night and he just comes out and plays. No warning, no, no, uh, nobody knew he was gonna play, but it was his fucking club, you know? And he just sat at a piano and just played. He just sat up and that was the only time I had ever seen him perform. Mm -hmm. Never went to a concert, never got to work with him. I had turned that job down before knowing that it was gonna be him. But I was on a show in Vegas and we were doing this TRL tour for, I can't remember what the show was. I think it was like a Lou Horowitz show. So it might've been that the United Negro college fund, but we were just filming the concert part and it was destiny's child and like Nelly. I think we were there just to film destiny's child. Um, But you know, we had to be there and and be there like the whole concert. So we were like inside the arena. It was like the MGM arena And this kid that I, I don't want to call him a kid, he was my age, but this guy who was working with me, he was just a PA on the show. Um, Like I was coordinating on the show. And he was like, hey, Prince is here. Let's go say hi. And I was like, the fuck you talking about? We can't just go say hi to Prince. Mm -hmm. And they, we're in the arena. And this arena is so fucking big that cars can drive in to Mm -hmm. the, between the, you know, the doors. Yeah, like there's like the roll-up doors. Cars can actually pull into it Mm -hmm. before you get to the arena doors. There's so much space. So we are. He's like, "Come on, come on, come on." I'm like, "Otis, what are you fucking? You smoking? Like, I'm not. We can't just roll up and fucking, you know, roll up on Prince and say hi. Like, who 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 thinks like that way?
1: You know, he's he's pretty little. He is pretty little. Could have been naked.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we pull up. There's a town car in the arena you know on the arena grounds and we roll up and prince gets out and I, I can't my memory is shady on this because i can't remember what he's wearing but i swear to god he was wearing like a one piece outfit yeah it, it was, was called skin it was all
2: it was
0: <laughs> wasn't naked he wasn't naked it was like his typical tight form fitting like you know, one piece with high heels and shit. That's called his body. And <laughs> and as we're getting closer, I'm like, I'm like stopped in my tracks because Prince is, it's Prince. He's getting out of the fucking car. And as soon as he's, his eyes focus on us coming toward him, he throws his arms out. He's like, he calls out Otis by his, he's like, Otis, like he <laughs> knows this guy by name and i'm just looking at Otis like motherfucker how the hell you know prince so we roll up right right to his car Shit. we I, we get to shake his hand say hi him and otis have a little quick chat and he's like oh yeah we're working blah blah, blah. And he's like oh i just came here to sneak in and you know see the show so we escort him right in he stands on the side of the of a you know of one of the bleacher set- settings uh-huh. and then we his bodyguards take him in somewhere else I I didn't see him again for the rest of the night but just
1: probably to a room <laughs> I gotta get all these clothes you <laughs> I need to, to get naked so ASAP <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that shit was like just fucking insane like I was, and I, st- I couldn't, I wouldn't stop bothering him. I kept saying, like, "How the fuck do you?" And I didn't even say, "How do you know Prince?" I said, "How does Prince know you?" And so, apparently, his brother was a choreographer who had worked with him for years mm-hmm. um, and knew Otis. But I, he, I, I was a witness. He knew him by name, which was crazy.
3: Yeah.
0: Um. But that 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 time seeing him on the piano, and that time meeting him at that arena was insane because it's like it's like you're speechless in front of him Mm -hmm. you know what I mean it's like you can't there's nothing you can say that's gonna interest him unless it has something to do with nudity or something (laughs) like
1: (laughs) Or if you're just all covered in purple, <laughs> you got a plum in your pocket. <laughs> you're like, yeah, I was you like, I am
0: not. A, this guy does not oh, live it's all cute. on the same plane that I do. All naked. So. <laughs> <laughs> all naked. Covered in honey. Um, but the, 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 the other sound, like you're talking about the Philadelphia sound, and, you know, like a band like Chic and a band like Slave, like they were, they had one. They were locked into one style of music. Rick James yeah. kind of
1: crossed the line between rock and funk, I think. I think He was he, definitely a pinnacle. But you know who else? Like Hot Chocolate. And I think they British. But they... And maybe that's what it is. Because they have that, like... It's It's definitely deep-rooted in, like, funk and dance music. Mm-hmm. But it just has this other, like you know aspect and it has a lot to do if you think about it, it's kind of like Funkadelic like with um, with the what's his name Eddie Hazelwood like it's like that guitar playing over R&B and also I don't know which Isley brother but one of the Isley brothers the guitar player like some of that playing is that same like that just distortion just these really like I don't want to say anglified licks but it's like it's definitely not like R&B solo. Yeah, you it's know what I mean? it's
0: it's above the threshold of what funk producer Eddie Hazel is a goddamn alien as far as I'm concerned. Like, um, he is just amazing. Um, his playing with with Parliament is it's like if if Jimmy had a twin and they were just on two separate planes, you know what I mean? And then here mm-hmm. comes Prince. Prince is like their little kid or their
1: little yeah, kid just brother channeling that. Yeah. Um, but uh, but not like... Um, and that's kind of like Hot Chocolate has that, you know, yeah. they have that, that element to them, too. Uh, but still in a funk, like, you know, R&B. And I don't know, I'm thinking about, like, you kind of hear that in early... I don't know who the backup band of the Jackson 5 was, but, like, their rhythm section and their guitar player, it wasn't... So whoever played guitar, I, I think Jackie, one of them played bass... I think Tito played Tito guitar, played but bass, Tito bass, right? No, I think Tito played guitar, oh. but I don't think he Jermaine played, played guitar too. I don't think um, Tito Jackson played the lead work, but oh, like you listen to yeah. those early, like that distorted guitar on like R and B. It's almost like kind of some of the first times you hear that in the big pop uh um, um, world. Yeah, like Ohio players and come function like, have that too. Yeah. But bit. they didn't have they had hits but R and B hits. No, no like no, Jackson yeah, yeah, yeah. Five was like top yeah. fucking world ten. And I th- I mean who wasn't listening to Jackson Five that played music even still to this day. I mean yeah. you can't that's you can't say that you that you do. But then like James Brown, it's more about the saxophone being the prominent solo because of where he came from. Definitely, like yeah. Ray Charles, it's an organ because that's what he's playing. Yeah, Stevie Wonder synth. is kind of yeah that that keyboardy world. At least yeah. the the big stuff, like yeah. that when he kind of came into his own with like superstition and you know. Well, he's a piano player. He just he just went from synth from piano to synth. Yeah, yeah. but still getting that like he played it in a really percussive way that doesn't yeah, like yeah. you listen to the the baseline of superstition but it's the the keyboard part like yeah. that's like what else sounds like that yeah. you know and, and it's not like it was like oh i'm listening to like these bands like genesis or i'm listening to um you know krautrock and or craftwork and then just i'm going to use that over this funk beat it just seemed natural where Maybe it was like, hey, here's a new toy, and then this is what's going to come out of it. And I think Prince was one of those artists where you put him in a room with instruments, and whatever's going to come out of those instruments is just being channeled through him in such a weird like way where it's not just him like oh today i'm gonna try to play a country song right it was it just it almost seemed like like he had that 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 musicianship and that appeal where once he picked something up and the stuff that was really coming through him it's like that would have came out of any instrument he chose it wasn't that oh i'm gonna write a song apart for an accordion and it's gonna sound like this like he doesn't come across as a meticulated like artist that is putting shit together and probably because i'm going to guess someone like a michael jackson probably didn't have jam sessions you know cuz he seemed like he was really meticulous like he knew exactly what he wanted everywhere yeah, like he was michael in the thriller. michael
0: was a student of like what the timing was and the sounds in his head how to get like he had sounds in his head that he had the hope somebody can translate and put it down on yeah. whatever instrument that he needed to be on and if you think about like a Stevie or a Prince it's like they were almost like uh, like if you think of music as a language they were almost like translators that took blues and jazz and translated it into a rock and roll pop sensibilities mm-hmm. so that you've got like somebody who who can do a saxophone solo like a Coltrane but that's it's locked into a specific sound and a mood because it's Coltrane. Yeah. But and like a Sun Ra. But then you got Prince, who can take that that thing that, that Coltrane was was conveying, translate it into a pop sensible song, but still has that deep rooted like free form to it. Because
1: he was like a musical prophet. Yeah.
0: I mean, he was and like, like just... Michael. He just he had to just invent his own goddamn language because he had everything yeah. in his head, and I don't think I don't think Michael took steps without thinking about
1: was that extension
0: yeah, that that technical timing, everything he did was like at the times that he needed it to be, and he knew how to put all that shit together. He was a composer just yeah. as much, and Prince was a composer, but Prince could play all the
1: instruments. Well yeah, he was a writer. Right. And like not to say that I mean Michael Jackson's a writer too, but like the way we talked about this on an episode before, but like the the R. Kelly song that that song You Are Not Alone I believe. That Michael, Michael Fly, Jackson yeah. recorded. Um and because it's Michael Jackson singing, I never knew that, but then and I didn't I mean I don't necessarily like like love that song or anything. I don't hate it. But then after hearing that it was a R. Kelly song, it's like, oh yeah, that's an R. Kelly song. You can hear that. Yeah, You would never catch or find Prince, like, he wouldn't need to sing someone else's song. Other people are singing his songs. You know what I mean? Yeah. And for whatever it's worth, like, R. Kelly definitely... In my mind, is more of a niche like writer. Where yeah, he wrote some catchy shit, but it's like it's kind of like a one note thing. Like he's got one he's got one hand to play, and he played it over and over and over, and he kept winning. But Prince is a different animal, a naked Pegasus, (laughs) (laughs) naked, (laughs) a different naked
0: animal. Yeah, um, I think I think like because he wrote so many songs for for other people even though he recorded his own versions and renditions of them him doing a live rendition of like that he did a Radiohead song at Coachella mm. and it's like that's gotta be like the highest form of compliment to that band because oh, yeah. here's a guy who does not need to sing anything but his own music mm-hmm. he's got this you know, plethora of, of uh, songs in his catalog and to do like and it's not even a Radiohead song that Radiohead even likes to do because he did Creep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? And it's like for him to do that, it's like you don't have to give anybody any awards. It's like this motherfucker sang your song in front of the biggest crowd that L.A. can hold. Uh, not L.A., but L.A. at Jason. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like like that kind of like cultural relevance that he b- brings with him, it's like it doesn't live – it, it's it's a rare thing nowadays it's a yeah. rare thing that that's you know like he's gone Bowie's gone mm-hmm. all these like you know the stones are still here Dylan's still here he's a lot like David Bowie too if you think yeah about and it. like and Bowie like the the chameleon of Bowie the way he changed he even you know made characters for himself mm-hmm. I don't think I think with the exception of Prince changing his name to a symbol I think without going as far as like okay now I'm gonna be you know Maurice or I'm gonna be this he did that on every record. Like, if you just do records in a row, if you go 1999 and Purple, Purple Rain and 1999 are really similar to me as far as, like, the aesthetic and the overall sound. Mm-hmm. But then you jump to the next record. You know, you jump to, like, you go from a Purple Rain to, like, a Raspberry Beret. And then you go to Love Sexy. And then you go to, like, the one that had the the symbol, or Diamonds and Pearls. Yeah. And then you go to the one that had the symbol. It's like... Or Paisley Park, or you That's know, like, we're in a new power generation, yeah. Then it was just like, then it was from the revolution to the new power generation. Was like, he was
1: recreating not just sounds, but himself. You know, it was weird if you think about it too, like where they land in time, it was almost like they're bridges, like albums, stylistically, where almost like end caps of things or of scenes. Like, if you listen to, like, um, Purple Rain, if you want to categorize it, to me, I would categorize it as, like, a pop like, like, bands like The Eurythmics and, like, Everything But The Girl and even, like, The Smiths, which The Smiths' first album came out the same year. Um, but it had that, like... That new romantic sound, what that was turning into. Like, it's turning into the Scritty Polities and it's turning into uh, ABC, or ABC's already a contemporary, but turning into like Breathe and like Curiosity Killed the Cat. Like, yeah. that soft, kind of really, like, even Sade is kind of in that same, like, little, you know, area. Um, yeah, it's like a smooth. But it was almost it's like <laughs>
0: smooth, smooth adult contemporary that's like just got its foot in the door of, like, being relevant to the younger crowd.
1: Yeah, and then you listen to Around the World in a Day, and that's around the same time, like, writing stuff for the Bengals. <clears throat> Everything that was happening in L.A. was called the Paisley Underground. Yeah. It was bands like the 3 O'Clock and the Bengals, um, the Motels. Uh, it's almost like it was, like... Like, oh, this is what was going on? Well, I'm going to put out the best record of this sound and tell and show everybody where it's going to lead to. Mm-hmm. And then the way I'm thinking of it just right now, like linearly, li- linearly if that's even a word, um, uh, the Diamonds and Pearls sounds like not an afterthought, but like the, the end of a chapter of like New Jack Swing, but what, uh, what it went into. You know, because it has that like that feel, but it's so much cleaner. It's so much more melodic and prettier. It's it just sounds like a culmination of everything that came before it, but was like this is the best. Yeah. You know, but it's still, but it's unique at the same time too. Where I don't know how he kept reinventing and finding that. Um, I think I don't know how he. I have no idea how he kept reinventing it, but you know what's what's also another thing. Like,
0: cause you you said the rhythmics and I just had a song in my head. Um, That song, Would I Lie to You? Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, that sounds like it could have been a Prince song. The yeah. way that it's it's got like a gospel undertone. Mm-hmm. And a lot of his music had like gospel undertones and the sensibility of it. And then you have like, you know, like the song, I said, like Delirious. Like it has like a rockabilly sense. And then you have like that song, Strolling, mm-hmm. from Diamonds and Pearls. And it's like, that's like a goddamn fucking the association or some band like that would have made exactly. it like a total whitewashed british band yeah
1: he had those, just like this like, like
0: yeah like. and it's like what the fuck like and it's it's a listenable song but yeah. you just listen to it and you just picture him on some roller skates Naked. singing this song yeah in a bodysuit with a fucking chain around his just waist just
1: by right <laughs> and you see little cheeks just go off because he's so small
0: a regular person's necklace fit around his goddamn waist <laughs> He had, like, had necklaces um, around his fucking waist in every fucking video that I can imagine him. And it's like, you got underneath it. He got this like completely just, you know, Diamonds and Pearls and Get Off on the mm-hmm. same record. And then you got strolling on the record. And it's like, where did strolling come from? Where did that, like, that... And, you know, he puts it on the same record. It's like, it's not a single. It's not something on... Like an afterthought like on a Paisley Parker. Even when he did like the his his not under the Cherry Moon, but the movie afterwards, the Graffiti Bridge.
1: The, oh yeah, Graffiti Bridge. Because Graffiti
0: Bridge had a lot of like different sensibility. Like, you know, it had the it had the the
1: <clears throat> funk and then it had like Well Sign of the Times was in between those two. Is it? I think so, yeah. And that was different, like way different for I think that was the introduction of the new power generation. It might have been, Because yeah. the Graffiti Bridge is the new power generation. And, you know, it's funny because on Silent Times, he brought Sheila back. Mm-hmm. So Sheila's
0: back in the band. I don't even know who's in the band at this point. I, don't I think, think it's a whole brand-new band. Yeah, I don't, think, uh, I don't think any of the, the revolution are in I'm, I could be wrong. There could be a couple of them in there, but as far as, like, the face... Yeah. Of that, because then he started doing. remember he did, uh, what's her name? Uh, Australian singer. He did that song, You Got oh, the Look.
1: Oh, um, Olivia Newton-John? No. Sheena Easton?
0: Sheena Easton. Oh, yeah. And remember she well,
1: did Sugar wrote, wrote Sugar, Sugar Walls, Walls. Too, right? Yeah,
0: because yeah, she was the one who did that. that Was that My Baby Takes the Morning Train song? Mm-hmm. And then he did a song with her on Sign of the Times, You Got the Look. And then after that, she did Sugar Walls. On her own, you know, her own yeah. uh, solo record or whatever, um, and so he was working with Sheila E., Sheena Easton, the new power generation. That's
1: anybody with an S. And <laughs> and Shakira wasn't that. around yet. Shakira, you can you do been some, working with her. some fucking Latin shit. He <laughs> be working with Shaba. <laughs> like, all right, go find me all the shit. Shaba, um, Sheena, no, you, Sheila, you, you, and you Shakira. Brought up that song by the what I Lied To You, which it has that, like, it's like Motown. It's like that northern beat, you know, where it's just real driving. Um, That was a big sound for a lot of those, like like the first song off of Wham! UK. That record was huge. I think that might have came out a little bit later than this. But this, the first song, Freedom, it's that same, you know, just that backbeat. Mm-hmm. It was like um the Style Council, you know, which their album came out in this year, too. Um that like that soul uh dexie's midnight runners they did a a cover of uh seven days is too long it's like a classic northern soul song mm-hmm. and it's that up tempo
0: oh and then what was that other band that did cover that the it was like an irish band with a redhead singer simply red simply red they were doing
1: like soul covers yeah because that was in the that thing. in that time uh-huh. yeah. that was that was the big like sound and um Also, what you're talking about, you're talking about like Diamonds and Pearls having so much diversity. The Around the World in 80 Days, the first song, America, it opens the record and it's like you think it's going to be this big rock record. And then it never goes back to that. And then you hear, and then there's a song like Pop Life, which to me, that's that might be my all time favorite song by Prince. Like, um and there's a lot of them that I just truly love um I really love uh, the beautiful ones that's one of my favorites, which is on purple rain yeah um but then it go then you got raspberry beret, then you got you know like uh what's the other big song off of that album um and regardless like all his albums are just so you know like you find these just these pockets of like really, really interesting music that it almost sounds like he probably showed up to putting an album together and having way more songs than actually made it. He he well that was one of the things
0: that in that interview with the uh, with Zoro was is that in the studio he every song he said was twenty fucking minutes or <laughs> you know, 15, 20 minutes. And that he was such a master at editing down to where it needed to be because he released a lot of long ass songs oh yeah you look at his catalog you pull up 1999 is a double record yeah first of all um there's like eight 12 minute songs on there's you know there's eight minutes and 12 minute songs on this record Mm -hmm. and it's like for a for a what this kind of music is you think in terms of like radio play disco three three minutes That's it. Mm-hmm. But this guy's doing eight-minute fucking versions of it. Computer Blue was like fourteen minutes or something. Mm. Um, that's still really that's that might be the longest song on the album. Yeah. Well, even the title track's like nine minutes. Mm-hmm. Like if you think about it, Purple Rain is like an eight to nine minute song. Yeah. It's like a Hey Jude. Yeah. It's, it's so like fucking hey long. On, and it's but like
1: it doesn't get boring.
0: Not that's what I was just gonna say. Cause you just said that uh, one of them was your favorite, and I'm like, I don't. If I had to pick a favorite song of his. I don't know if I could. I know. I know what songs I'm tired of hearing. <laughs> like, not that I. Not that you mean. Not that I don't. Just the saturation. Like the song, but I think the Red Little Red Corvette got played out. I still dig that song. I, no, if it comes on, I'm gonna listen to it.
1: Well, but it got so played
0: out that it has like a certain feeling to me that. Like I'm like, my man, play something out. Play play automatic. Mm-hmm. Like, play something lesser known on the record. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like Darling Nikki, it's like such a cinematic song. Like, I love that fucking record. Purple Rain and I Would Die For You mm-hmm. and Let's Go Crazy. Like, there's so many songs on Let's this. Let's go Crazy is probably the one that's on this even more than Dove's crazy. On this record alone, it's like this record has more of my favorite songs mm-hmm. like i think i think purple rain has more like i love uh a song here or there from different albums mm-hmm. like diamonds and pearls never really hit with me like the title track i think get off and i think was it cream creams on cream's there creams on there yeah but like those still are just uh, they're they stand out for the record that's on, but they don't stand out in his catalog to me. Like, if I think about, like, putting together our greatest hits, it's mostly going to come from uh, from Purple Rain 1999, you know, even, like, Controversy is way up there for me. Controversy yeah. is,
1: is one of my favorite songs of that's, his. That's what's crazy, too, is he has that, like, and because his catalog's so fucking wide and spoke so long, spanned so many years, we're talking decades, um, he can have songs on public radio in, in heavy rotation, but from different, like, Diamonds and Pearls will be on, like, the R&B stations or it'll be on, like, the Wave because the Wave is all R&B now, right. which is actually a good station. They're not going to play Diamonds and Pearls on Jack Jack FM, but Jack is going to play Let's Go Crazy. It's going to play When Doves Cry. It's going to play Delirious. Then, then they're going to play, like, K-Rock's going to play When You Remind. They're going to play, like, the New Wave. You know, he could be... On fucking every radio station at yeah. the same time with songs that never cross, which is crazy, and then some that will cover the whole thing. Yeah, you know, it's it's the like only Jesus. the only thing I can't. You know what? Delirious too, real quick, just so I, I don't forget. That was in Doctor Detroit too. That was that was featured in Doctor Detroit. Was it? Yeah. Oh shit! It was in that movie, and it was. It's just such a weird song. It's oh, crazy. Now you maybe want to see that movie because we were doing you the power walking. we were movie. doing the power
3: walking. <laughs>
0: That was just... So much cocaine. Funny motherfucker. Um, Oh, shit. I just lost my train of thought. I was just thinking about something. Oh, what I was saying was uh, the only thing I don't hear in a lot of his music is is country, but adjacent is like the rockabilly, Mm -hmm. which is very Mm country-esque, you know, adjacent as far as like...
1: You know what, too? I I have to look. He probably did a lot of his recording, I'm going to guess, or at least some of it when he started getting money out in L.A., and that's probably how he got exposed. Because it just seems like he was listening to all of those bands. Like he probably was, you know, and and typically back then, which still happens now, depending on if you have a a budget, if a band goes out of town to make a record, they're going to probably be there for at least a month or a few weeks. And if they're not from there, They're going to be a band and they're going to go see live music. They're going to, and what's going to be there, but whatever's there at that time. So that's why it seems like he probably made some of these records in LA at pivotal moments in the LA scene because how else would he be exposed to the Paisley Underground? And how else would he be exposed to, you know, um, just other types of material that he kind of encapsulated? And that's what's the beauty of the movie is the movie makes you feel like you're a part of that scene just because the way it's shot. Like it's there's so much music in that movie and it's like it's a concert film. But at the same time, it's a fan film. But it's like it's not Hard Day's Night where it's like Prince is like no one's chasing him. Yeah. No one even knows who he is. And yet he's giving these mind blowing performances, you know. And the time. The time was fucking on fire back then, you know? Like, there were these amazing acts, and I think prior to that, he had to be hip to the stuff that was going on in New York, coming out of the no-wave scene, because, like, I'm sure there was a lot more acts, but, like, a big one that wasn't really that big was, like, Kid Creole. Like, Kid Creole is like the time kind of and it is kind of like prince you know it's this big ensemble and they're yeah. this party band you know it's like a fucking well, party even, on the stage because his band before before kid creole was king creole he was the,
0: the what's his name dr buzzard in the savannah he that did,
1: one i never knew
0: yeah i don't know that yeah so you know the song the when that big ghost face hit the
3: Oh, God why' can't
0: Daytona I 500? huh? Daytona 500? No no no, it's on that record. it's, it's the big it's the ghostface hit. It's like it's a, it's from a King Creole sample. Mm. but King Creole is Melly Mel's brother. Mm. But before he was King Creole, this he was kid he was uh, he was a rapper mm. and after you and then he what? was Dr.
1: Buzzard in the Savannah uh, band. Maybe that's why Prince is referred to in the whole movie as the kid. The kid. Maybe. It could be. He actually looks a little similar to him, too. Mm -hmm. Well, the kid Creel used to do like that. um, It was like kind of Cab Calloway, too. Like he would do that. Very much, yeah. Very Cab Calloway. And then if you think of, and they're from L.A., but like the Boys too, were like that party band, you know? Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget. I remember Remember in 48 Hours, um, there's those two big scenes where he goes to, like... They're supposed to be in San Francisco. And he goes with Nick Nolte to that big country bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, And then he goes to the Black Club, and it's the busboys playing. I don't know that song. It's the Cherche La Femme.
2: Mm.
0: It was done... It was done by, well, this is Kid Creole and the Coconuts, but then when he was, before he was Kid Creole, when he was Dr. Buzzard and the Savannas, whatever, mm-hmm. he did that, and then Ghostface used it for, like, a big song on his. On I his, don't know uh, that song. It was on Ghostface's second record,
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, Iron Man or Iron Tony or whatever the fuck it was called. Um, well, Iron Man was his first one, wasn't it? I Iron Man was, was his first Supreme one.
1: Clientele? No, it was the second
0: one. It was, a, it was definitely not, not Supreme Iron Man.
1: Clientele? I think Supreme, it might be Supreme Contest. I think that was his second album. Yeah. Um, Then he lost his mind. By the time Fish Scale came out, it was like, oh, my God. (laughs) What are you putting on that Fish Scale? Yeah. Dr. Buzzard's. It it was called Dr. Buzzard's Original Savannah Band. I think I have seen those records, but I didn't know that was him. So that's Kid Creole.
0: And Cherche La Femme is Cherche La Ghost. Mm. the 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 Ghostface one is Sure Shayla Ghost mm. but if you listen to like Endicott that, that? that it's a song by Creo. Oh, that one sounds a lot like something like the Strollin song or like something that was on Under the Cherry Moon because uh-huh. the only song that I know from Under the Cherry Moon is Kiss
3: mm.
0: that's the only song from that record that I know I thought um, that was on that record this one Hmm. You know this oh, song. yeah yeah so this is the one and this is the doctor okay. this is a sample or the uh, excuse an me. interpolation of the the doctor Buzzard Dr Buzzard, uh, hmm. Dr. Buzzard um, Savannah <laughs> original savannah band. Anyway, but yeah there's a lot of that like and, and he modeled himself after Cab Calloway even the way he dressed. Yeah
1: he had the hat the suit, the well, hat. Zoro had that hat too. Yeah. <laughs> so they could have been jocking them, you know. But even if you think about it, even if you go to like just Cab
0: Calloway, like the showmanship, and if if you watch, I was watching some videos the other night. I was like on a YouTube fucking rabbit hole, just going through all these old like I was actually watching a bunch of old Adamant videos.
3: Uh uh-huh.
0: um, But then I started watching some Prince videos. I love all those videos. A lot of his mannerisms on stage is is James Brown. Oh yeah. And instead of
1: the splits and the Yeah, and James and,
0: Brown had that assistant that would, like, put his coat on him oh, and yeah. take him that's off stage. That
1: was, like, with the time. Yeah,
0: the time. That like, was that's, Jerome. That was Jerome, yeah. And with the mirror and shit and, like, in the syncopated dancing and shit. But Prince, he, he was his own, he was his own, like, side guy at the same time. Like, he'd throw his guitar down, pick it up, and then, like, he'd go into these solos, and it's, like... At, when he's in his solos, it's Jimmy. You know what I mean. Even like, remember that the the song on uh, on Graffiti Bridge. It's a Jimi Hendrix beat.
1: Oh yeah, the, it's the beat from uh, Little Miss Lover.
0: Yeah, the tick tick bang. Mm-hmm. That's straight up Little Miss Lover like intro. Um, that starts off the song. It's like an homage to Jimmy. Everyone, you know, like not just because of all the music he wrote and his ability to sing and and put all these things together, it's he is just a badass fucking guitar player. Mm-hmm. On top of being able, not only did he play the drums and the bass and the keys and all
1: that, but he shreds on the guitar, you know? Well, is that um in the in Let's Go Crazy when the song stops at the end and it's just that guitar solo? Yeah. Like, is that him? That's him. Yeah. Um, real quick, I went back. I can't find anything about Dirty Mind, but I went back to Controversy, 1999, uh, and uh, those two were made in L.A., 1981, oh, yeah. 1983, and then Purple Rain was made in Minneapolis, in New York, and in L.A., and yeah, like, look at his his first album, or his second album, the self-titled Prince, 1979, he was in L.A. So and the first made, one, is the first one for you? Uh, let me see it's For You and then Prince yeah 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 Prince is uh, this, the second album was made in LA yeah even the first one some of it's in LA huh so that that hap- yeah there's no way he, would, he probably was just going out and soaking up every band like living in you know in Hollywood yeah and probably he was probably going to the Starwood and
0: and he was probably able to move freely without anyone knowing who the fuck he was
1: well, you know yeah. what I mean? Except in the fucking hallways of the Chateau Marmont. Because they're just like, <laughs> uh, Prince conspire. put clothes on. What does he go by? He's
2: There's a little man
1: the in the hallway on a Pegasus. He s- falls asleep <laughs> at the piano. <laughs> um,
0: imagine, imagine being a band in the 80s and having Prince in the audience just studying you and you just being like, Who's this weird motherfucker? And then, like, five years later, he's, like, on top of the world. Uh, I got to pause real quick.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, we're rolling in. No, earlier you mentioned um, that he covered Crete by Radiohead, like, at yeah. Coachella or whatever, um, if that's where he did it. It was it um, was Coachella, yeah. And even, like like, bands like Radiohead, like... I'm sure, uh, they had to have listened to grew up listening to a lot of prints, you know like and that's not just to say like oh they sound like print I'm, I'm not saying that I'm just saying that his his reach of influence is so like vast um and he's one of those artists where it's like a world without him, and it would be so much smaller um, but thinking about him doing that cover and the power of it and how much of like like uh, the flattery of, that I'm sure you know the band was like well, shit like Prince is doing our song that's a big deal. Um, it makes me think of I rem- I don't know if you went, but I remember going to Cerritos Performing Arts Center and saw Smokey Robinson. play. I was there, yeah. And remember he time, did it. He did it time after time. He did an acapella version of "Time After Time" by Cyndi Lauper, and. I mean, it sounded like Smokey Robinson, obviously, but like it just exhibited something to me that struck a chord with just songwriting, like the power of songwriting, where you can hear that song a billion times and you know, you either like it or you don't. It's got a lot of great qualities. It's a hit. It's and it's rightfully so. But like hearing it. Somewhat out of context because it wasn't like he changed anything about it. He just sang it acapella, but it's but like it's, you have this but voice, it's his voice. It's Smokey Robinson yeah. singing that song, and it's like that's a great song. Like it's it, and it wasn't like like someone singing like a Hank Williams like song or like singing a Woody Guthrie song where it's like these are songs that we all grew up listening to in some form or another and a, like t- like it's endless with the amount of people that have covered these songs. Yeah, they're almost like a public domain yeah, they're type of folky. It's, yeah. it's 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 embedded in the culture. Yeah. Um but to have that power of um being able to trans to have it translated through any medium and have it still affect you through that uh, uh, vessel that is a Smokey Robinson or a Prince or anybody. But it's just so nice and crazy to be like... Like when we were at that show, and it was probably sold out, but there wasn't that many people in that room. And who knows, Smokey Robinson, he was probably... Do, he probably did that more than once but that night it was just for us it wasn't like yeah. he released a single and I'm sure anyone that was that saw Prince do that song out in Coachella even if now there's you know a it's ton of people YouTube and all that. it yeah. still felt special where it was just like holy shit like I was there when this happened like that's something to be said that's crazy you know it's, a, it's not fucking you know because someone wrote the fucking happy birthday song too and everyone's murdering that <laughs> every day
0: Yeah, and who wants yeah, to hear that and you know. if you think about like if you think about somebody who even carries more weight than a, a person like Prince would be someone like Smokey who wrote ev- I don't want so to say 100% but, cover but anything. he wrote everything <laughs> that came out of Motown. I mean, he wrote the biggest hits in the world and here he is paying uh giving credit to Cindy Lauper who probably would just keel over and die having, you know, heard him do it because She's, I mean, on the scale, she's a little blip compared to, you know, a powerhouse like Smokey, and for him to recognize, and and it's also it was an obscure choice of for him to pick,
1: you know what I mean? Yeah, it didn't make any sense. I mean, he's not even like with Prince covering uh, Radiohead. Prince was always concurrent, like even yeah. you know till his death. Um, so it wasn't like like Smokey Robinson at that point wouldn't have been playing a Coachella if it existed yeah he <laughs> wouldn't like oh it's ladies and gentlemen if you're still awake you know what I mean it's like <laughs> if you're still <laughs> awake not to put him down it's just that's, that's such a bridge in that that, yeah. that gap of you know of what's what had happened culturally and Prince was like he came in and I think he just had ebbs and flows of like he's either innovating or he's riding the crest hmm. and It was never really an ebb for him, but maybe an ebb for him was when he was, like, riding the crest of his own fucking peak, which he had... Multiple in his multiple uh, instances in his career, you know. Yeah. Like I went and I found right now, just looking to see where he made his the, a lot of these records, a lot of the early ones before he actually had enough money to build his own studio, Paisley Park, which is I think that isn't that where they where he died? Like he died at his studio? Yeah. Or near his studio at the time. Oh yeah, he was home in Minneapolis. Um, yeah. But uh, the uh, when I was going back, it was like I forgot about the the Batman record. Like, he made yeah. the, the whole movie soundtrack, and that record was crazy. That was, like, to me, something like... Like, if Oingo Boingo kept making music, Um because, you know, Danny Elfman was just all doing scoring, yeah. and he definitely has his own sound. Just, like, if you think about... Like, you look at Mark Smothersbaugh, all of his scoring, everything that... Pre- it sounds like... Like, if Devo didn't stop, and he was just like, oh, Devo didn't stop for me, but I'm just going to do it in a different format. Right. You know, and to me, like, the Batman, a lot of the songs, that sounds like it could have been, like, oingo Boingo making that music. And it almost, like, he went back to his, like, like delirious days as far as writing something. Because there's nothing really R&B on it, kind of. It's got that, like, frenetic kind of... New wave rock. If I don't know how to, I don't know what to call it. It's kind of its own thing. It's pop rock. Yeah, but but
0: it's rock with a lot of pop sensibility and an underlying like the funk is still always there in all his music. Yeah, it never leaves. But the way he interprets it, the way yeah, the way he like bridge. You know, he like it's like if you had a lever and you had to go like to the left is all funk, to the middle is like just just enough funk. He's like a slight. S- slight slide to the right mm-hmm. where it's like if you have if you know funk music you can hear it yeah but if you're a rock fan a new wave fan you're not going to necessarily get the funk sensibility you're going to stick to like oh I hear the rock music you know I hear the guitar yeah. over it and I hear the the pop sensibilities of the way he put the you know he structured mm-hmm. the song but everything that he touches has always had that, that drip of funk in it, like yeah. no matter what.
1: And it was kind of like backward of like, like what Parliament, Funkadelic, like Parliament had to create a second band, which was the same band. They had to do it <laughs> for different reasons because yeah. of like label issues or whatever. But it's like, Funkadelic, where it sits and then where Parliament just takes over, and it's like, now it's like George Clinton doing Atomic Dog, where it's like, there's, you don't hear those electric guitars driving it anymore. You don't, it's almost like, it's like a, like a reverse of that where his early stuff, just like the time, too, they're like hard funk. Yeah. And got this, this aspect where it's not so much crossover. And then you listen to an album like Pandemonium, uh, by the time, that's the one that had Jerk out. At this point, um, Uh, what's uh Jimmy Jam and uh, Terry Lewis are already definitely protégés of Prince but they have their own like they they took what they learned from him and were like okay now we know how to do this now we're gonna write our own shit and we're gonna produce our own music if you think about that circling all the way back to the Jackson family Janet
3: Janet
0: she even yells out Minneapolis in her song yeah exactly she ain't from Minneapolis and she
1: shouts out Minneapolis because because they produced some of her biggest records I think Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did everything she Um, did but um, but what, what I was getting at, too, about talking about Pandemonium, like, that's a rock record. Like, that's the one that had Jerk Out. That was the big hit. Yeah. But, like, a lot of the other songs, they're, like, you hear these loud guitars. And what was the
0: guitarist's name?
1: He had a lot of that jimmy to him. Jesse Williams? Yes. Jesse,
0: mm-hmm. Jesse something, right? I think it was Jesse Williams, I think. I don't know his last name, but it was definitely Jesse. Yeah. And he had that, that, that well, cut. he definitely had a Prince flair to him. Yeah. He was like Prince's shadow in a, in a sense the whole overall aesthetic of his look and yeah. And then he he had that Jimmy you knowness to his guitar playing. Yeah. And I don't mean to make jimmyness a fucking
1: verb or an adjective but it's like I don't know any other way to put it. It's but he like he had that much of yeah. an effect it, it makes sense. I yeah. mean people Jimi Hendrix is so like there's a lot of people that play Stratocasters and are but no one's as iconic for playing one in my eyes as Jimi Hendrix you know no even though he played like Flying V's and you know he didn't he didn't really st- sorry didn't... Jesse Good. Johnson oh Jesse Johnson what was his name earlier <laughs> Jesse <laughs>
3: Williams.
1: <laughs> 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 maybe shit up making um, shit up oh, but, oh then you know what i you know what i think a lot about too uh is Terrence Trent Darby, like oh shit, yeah. He had to. I mean, he. You know, he sounds like, like Al Green singing Prince songs, kind of. He like, does, and you know what's funny
0: is he covers a Smokey song mm. on the first record. That that first record he did was one of my favorites of the mm. contemporary stuff that came out. It came out at the same time that that George Michael uh, mm. solo had come out it was like those two well, records
1: that first record was big you that was a huge song
0: huge huge um, huge song uh, or huge yeah huge thing um, yeah but I could see I'd say Terrence that's like exactly what it is it's it's Al Green's grandkids you know in Prince's fucking bodysuit making music because yeah. he had that sensibility about him it was mm-hmm. fucking sucks that that dude fell the fuck off
1: yeah like, I listen every once in a while. I listen, I sing it to too, but that song uh, "She Kissed Me" on a second album. I still love that song. Oh yeah, I like that um, video. <laughs> and it was like, it was like rock. It was like, I don't know. I don't. I don't necessarily think uh, there was a lot of weird, like late eighties turning into nineties. I think a lot of good music got. I don't want to say slept on, but there was. That's also too when you're thinking about this is one like an album like Thriller setting the precedent for like just changing the the industry where it was like there were no albums weren't that big before i mean the biggest album of the 70s was what like frampton comes alive that was the one that really single-handedly changed the music industry um and not to say that bands weren't selling lots of albums before that but it was nothing like I think the Eagles greatest hits Yeah, but that's way later. Is it? Yeah, that's that's still the biggest selling album, but oh, that's okay. after Thriller. Okay.
0: That's it, yeah, it's a the, great the, hits album. <laughs> the the one thing that they, they were talking about in that interview I was I was referring to earlier with the uh, with uh Zorro the drummer from the the Revolution is he was saying that what killed... I don't want to say... He didn't say it killed creativity because he was like, you can't kill Prince's creativity.
3: Mm.
0: But what slowed things down was MTV Mm. because he was saying, like, James Brown put two records out a year. Mm. That was his average. There was other people that... And Prince was on that track. He was on that track of, like... 1999 is only two albums because the record company couldn't put two albums out fast enough for him. Mm -hmm. It was a double record. Yeah. 1999 could have been two separate records out the same year. Mm -hmm. And then Purple Rain was right after it. It was Mm -hmm. the next year. I think 1999 came out in 83. I think so, yeah. And then this came out in 84. Mm -hmm. And he was on track to literally put out a record.
1: came out in 82, but still. Yeah, and and that but, was probably the first time he was doing big touring. Too, but Purple like... Rain started was
0: starting to be performed in 1983 because the first recording of it was in the the summer of 83. Yeah, um, and so he was saying like the thing that slowed the record business down was MTV. They came in and disrupted the music business much in the way. Well it gave a lifespan to singles. It gave a lifespan to singles and it it changed the sensibility of what people wanted. They wanted singles more than they wanted records. Mm-hmm. And so that slowed people down. The development, the everything now was about how shit looked and was packaged versus just I'm gonna put records out. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: And if you think about it, it's kind of a it's kind of like a one eighty or no, a 360 of, like, the origins of, like, when rock and roll was just all about 45 singles. There was no MTV, but the radio was, was not playing album cuts. Like, they were playing fucking singles. And you knew, you know, the Everly Brothers by a handful of songs. You knew, you know, Ricky Nelson, like, all these acts. And some of those acts that never got out of putting out... The forty-five, yeah, and then fast forward to like the new wave age or the eighties, like a band like Uh Aha, like how many people know more than "Take on Me" by Uh Aha? I I still don't. You know, (laughs) men at work. I know a handful, but that's because they had a handful of hits. Yeah, Big Country. I love that song. song, Big Country. One song. That's the only song I know by them. Yeah. Um, because there was just so much. It was like a flood. You know, like all these acts. Um one of the most, one of the biggest ones is Modern English, too, you know, Melt With You, like who, like, Oh, yeah, like that's such a, you know, like, yeah, I like that one. I gotta pause. again. How long is it? I'm gonna go back to the movie. Um, I think it had to be, I don't remember. So, this came out in 84, the movie probably came out in 85, right? Or maybe 84 too, I don't know. I think it came out in 84. Um, but I know we saw in the theater. There's no way we wouldn't have seen this in the theater. I mean, we saw Beat Street in the theater. We saw Break-In. We saw um, Rocky Three was one of my favorite movies ever. Um, no, I think we saw this in the theater. No, I know we did. I just can't remember. Like probably if it was the, in the mall. Probably or, the Lakewood. Remember the Lakewood outdoor? <clears throat> you know
0: yeah. the one that was on the outside.
1: That's where we saw Raw.
0: Yeah, we saw Raw there too. We saw Raw there. I saw New Jack City there. We saw the big movies. Yeah.
1: Colors. Remember seeing Colors and colors. all scared? Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, going back to it being so iconic, the first time I ever went to Minneapolis, I'll never forget um, standing on the corner and just looking across from that little square or whatever, that little it's almost like five points. Oh, uh, to First Avenue. i seen First Avenue. Yeah. And, like, like everybody's played there. It's a big part of, you know, Minneapolis's rich musical culture history. And on the side, they have the stars with all the bands that have played there. But to me, I was just like, that's where Purple Rain happened. Yeah, like, It's the only it, thing it that there's matters. There's nothing else that I could think of but that. And that club, the way that it looked... It was such a, it was so much more because like you remember in Breakin', where the storyline in the movie, whatever, the kid that is the younger brother's the DJ's younger brother is the break dancer, and then he meets these breakers and it's actually the New York City breakers with like crazy legs and you right, know, then they go to the Roxy and it's this big deal, and then he gets a gig spinning at the Roxy, but. I'll never forget the way that I looked and especially on a big screen it was just like wow like look at this like it's crazy like it was like a peek into hip-hop dance club culture seeing beat street and then seeing purple rain like you get treated to every time there's a live performance it's either them or the time playing on that stage in that you know venue and e- they even sneak in 7th Street Entry, I think, when Vanity... Or when uh, the Apollonia, When they're supposed to be playing, yeah. it's just at the little small bar next door. But yeah. they're supposed to be at a different venue. And that's when, yeah. like, it's like Morris is yeah. trying to, you know, be their Svengali or whatever. Um, But it was just so, like... I don't know. I guess I was at the right age to to just you know i was already like in love with music and that's the other thing i think that soundtrack i think if i'm not mistaken every song on that record is in the movie yeah i don't think there's one track that's not in no i think they're all in there even like Uh, the the what's it called one um what is it what's the weirdest one we were just talking about it computer blue um maybe that one yeah that's like a big scene um take me with you they're doing that's when they're writing when he shows that's when she's out the lake yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Um, that one's done more like it's like almost like a little mini music video, video in uh-huh. the in the what you call
1: and it and I think prior to the, or past this like the movies that stick out to me that are like big music movies is like velvet Goldmine is like borderline musical movie yeah but it wasn't like a a help or a even 200 motels like frank zappa or like an elvis movie the like jailhouse rock like the purple rain is yeah and then after that like angry or hedwig and the angry inch is another oh john cameron it's like a musical uh, but it's not a real so i don't i think i think maybe purple rain is the last Music yeah,
0: Hedwig, Hedwig. is almost like a rock opera. It's almost like a like Tommy. Tommy or it's almost something. like a Tommy,
1: but but, but yeah. it's not a real band. No. So that's what I'm like. I think Prince was. Is he the end of that movie making? Mm-hmm. Like, what other? Can you think of any other movies where it was an artist that was either portraying a version of themselves or no, no, because if it wasn't a Beatles or an
0: Elvis thing, I can't think of anybody who did anything unless it was just like their own. You know, like their own, but I don't, but where it's acted out. Yeah, and the storyline it's, it's
1: dramatic and there's a storyline. I because can't think of The think Beatles of are playing else. the Beatles. Yeah, Elvis. Yeah. maybe in like Jailhouse Rock. That was different, different yeah. time. No, I can't think. Space is it. a place, but that's a, that's a totally different. No, thing.
0: yeah, it's a different style. Like, I think this is like it's like his own version of a biopic. The jazz singer yeah. maybe
1: is kind of close. Yeah, Neil that's, Diamond. That's close. Because he's... he's, that's he's dramatic. Not, he's Neil Diamond, but he's not supposed to necessarily be yeah, Neil Diamond. Yeah, He's dramatic. There's story and there's acting out Al and all and that Prince, stuff. Prince, yeah. the band is supposedly the revolution in the movie. You no, know, they say the revolution. Yeah. Yeah. And then remember how you were saying that he said... That Wendy and Lisa wrote "Purple Rain" because then there's that thing in the in the the movie. The storyline is them writing the song, yeah. and he doesn't even want to do it. And then he comes back, and then that's after it's he's after kind his of dad. broke up with yeah. Apollonia, and his dad died. Yeah. or he's—I don't think his dad's dead. Stroke but he a heart attack? Yeah, he's going yeah. through all this turmoil. Cool. He's about to get fired. Yeah, and then he comes and he plays that song, and like everybody loses their shit. And it's so dramatic. And then he follows it up with, I would die for you. Um, and then he plays, what's the very last song in the movie? It's, um, baby, I'm a star. I think that's the last one that ends the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and like every, you know, I've, I mean, obviously, I've seen that movie multiple times. I think you got me the 25th anniversary version of the DVD oh, the for DVD. birthday or Christmas yeah. years ago, which I still have. And it has like extras and stuff. Um But like that movie, it's definitely very dated, and it takes me to, you know, like remember seeing it like at mom and dad's house, even though I saw it in the theater. <laughs> I mean, fuck, I was like nine. What were you like 13? I was 13, 84. Yeah, yeah, so that was that was a while
0: ago. Um, it's funny because one of my, because it came on video, not too too long after. Was it on video already? We watched it at school. Oh really? My uh, my science teacher. Mm-hmm. We, she let us watch it. It was like after spring. Yeah, when I mean, take breaks. Where? You know when you like are done with finals or mm-hmm. midterms, or whatever. Because I was going to Whitney, hmm. and I think her name was Mrs. Pooler. She was our science teacher, and she we had like that week where it was, we were done with our finals or whatever, mm-hmm. midterms or whatever, and <clears throat> she was like, "Okay, you guys pick a movie, I'll let you guys watch the movie during class." So we had like you know you watched it over like. Two or three days, mm-hmm. well, you know, the class is like forty-five minutes. So yeah, you watch it. and I just remember her; she knew the movie because she was up at the at the fast-forward button that during that time when uh. Apollonia took her top
1: off. Well, she had to screen it, probably. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and then we were like, no! But it was just uh-huh. funny because I remember watching it in class, you know, mm-hmm. over a two or three day period or whatever. And it was just she was just a cool. She was a cool teacher like that where she let us watch this, like, totally yeah. inappropriate movie to be watching at on school. And I was 14. Yeah, I was yeah. 14.
1: I remember watching one of my teachers. I think it was Miss Flores. She played Ferris Bueller's Day Off for us, which we had already seen in that theater, too, at right. that point. But um, that was cool because that was kind of not edgy but it's like you know it's like a Dennis the Menace character it's yeah. like just showing, and this kid, showing
0: school, literally showing a truant kid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to kids in school like I wish I was out there
1: but it's because he's <laughs> charming so it's just like yeah whatever yeah. Um, that would be like w- that would be like having kids watch Rushmore
0: save Paris yeah. yeah like Rushmore um the when you were saying you were in Minneapolis I was there a couple years ago for that Super Bowl gig um and I remember it was just funny because we had a we had a, uh, a chauffeur company to drive us around from like the hotel to the state, you know, to the mm-hmm. to the we were we were f- taping in the um, convention center. And I remember I was like, oh, because w- literally the street is First Avenue, mm-hmm. and so I'm like, hey, do you know where First? Oh, hey, where First Avenue is? He's like, oh, we're on it. We're on it. I go, no. (laughs) The venue? Do you know where the First Avenue Club is? And he's like, oh, I don't know. And we're all, we all looked down at our phones, and all of us were trying to Google map it. And as we were doing that, we literally fucking passed it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was too late. I was like, oh. And I was like, I didn't want to get out the car, because it was like a negative freaking five degrees. And I'm like, shit. So I was like, okay. I got to remember to go back, and so I went back on foot. And the fucking only time I went back, I didn't have my phone with me. Cause <laughs> so I was all I wanted to do is just take a, f- a picture of the front. Yeah. And I didn't ring my fucking phone because my it was so fucking cold. Yeah. Well, then yeah. when I was putting my gloves, I had I had inner gloves and outer gloves. Yeah. By the time I got everything on, I had left my phone in my bag, <laughs> and I stepped out. I'm all walking them I'm all. I'm all patting myself down. I have all damn. these fucking pockets, and I had a fucking, you know, like backpack. a snow oh, bubble bubble kind rack. of coat, whatever. And I'm like, God damn it! So I'm like, fuck it. I ain't got no goddamn picture of fucking first act. <laughs> but
1: doesn't this it, it looks cool? Because it's like, and it's literally like the building kind of. It's goes like a around wraparound. Around. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks so cool. And <coughs> <coughs> yeah.
0: But I was there, and then I and then I mapped out uh, Paisley Park, and that shit's like an hour away. It's not. <laughs> It's It's like like
1: Graceland, Um, or it's like 30 or 40 minutes away from uh, from downtown. The there's something too, because I I read up on the movie a long time ago. Whenever I not when I don't know what to look up, I'll just look up weird random things. Like when I found out facts, like that's how I found out like the US Festival, the stage. Mm -hmm. It's like stored somewhere in Disneyland. Oh. Like, well, why would anyone... <laughs> no one's gonna just try to figure that out. Yeah. But what I found that reason? out just by looking up every fact I could find out about <coughs> Disneyland for some reason. Um, but then, I think the exteriors of the uh, the club were shot somewhere like in LA it's like a certain club in LA like I think it might even be what the Viper Room used to be which used to be the central um, I think I don't know uh-huh. um, huh, interesting but the um, yeah that movie and the album it's like there, it's that's another hard thing to do where you can totally separate those two entities like you could you can you could listen to the album and it doesn't necessarily make you think of the movie yeah and you could watch the movie and just be in that movie world you know what i mean yeah. like they're that's that's strong like it's a big achievement yeah and then that's when it just sold like everybody. I'm like, okay, it was Prince. Like, he's a little different, whatever, but his music just connected to everybody. Um, and we got to do, we got to do purple Rain for our backyard viewings. I would be, I would watch that. Yeah. I love that. That's a, it's a concert film. Like, yeah. it's, it's, it makes you feel like you're there. Yeah. Just the way that it's shot and, you know. Um, but I always found it was weird too, just like thinking about how it's, it was, it would bother me when I was a kid. Cause I'm like, so for one thing, like the way that it's, the way it's set up in the movie, I know they're trying to tell a story and it's gotta be quick, but it's not like you remember pretty in pink. So you know how I'm pretty in pink. They go to the club. And it's like that band, the Rave Ups, is like the band that's playing, and they're oh, watching the band yeah. play. And it's a club band, almost kind of like the Plimsolls in Valley Girl. Yeah, like they go to this club. <coughs> that's actually is the, in the inside of the that Central. Was one where it was like, that's at the Viper Room. It was like Dweezil Zappa
0: in sitting at eight. the sitting at the table with uh, Annie Potts. Yeah, Annie Potts. Uh huh. Yeah,
1: but like they go and they watch a band. And it's, like, it's the band, and they're playing. Maybe they only show one song, but you get the idea that they're just at a show. Now, in Purple Rain, they have, like, the backstage, and it's, like, they're them and the time are, like, the house bands. Mm -hmm. But you look at the stage, and it's, like, is it just, like, I didn't know about backline, I didn't know about whatever, but it just looks like, well, those are their instruments. They get up, and they play one song, and they get off the stage, like, so all those people what are they doing in the meantime <laughs> waiting for the time to do one song and yeah you know what i mean like that part and i get the they, they the movie can't be dr fucking shivago 10 hours long yeah um but it was like it's almost like a showcase it was weird like yeah, i remember like, i remember even being a kid i didn't know anything about how how yeah. music really worked like was, they show them rehearsing writing purple rain and they show them rehearsing at the club, like so. It's like, well, what's what's happening here? Like, yeah. they're they're doing this. They're getting the new song ready to play that night, and then that's all they play. Because yeah. even like Purple Rain, it's this big deal. And then once he's done, he runs backstage because <laughs> he's all crying. He probably <laughs> like, just can't wait to get his clothes off. <laughs> And they're looking for a white horse. Everyone's like, "No, we got, you got to go do an encore." And then that's when everyone gives it up and they're like, "Yeah, he's gonna stay yeah. here. He's too good." You he's know what's funny dead. is because
0: I was I hadn't watched the movie, but I was watching videos uh, from that, and all the videos are movie movie parts, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. And when they pan on the crowd during Purple Rain, it looks like a LA crowd. Uh huh. Like I can't imagine. I could be completely off. But i can't imagine minneapolis crowd Being looking hip. like that i mm-hmm. felt like it was a full-on la crowd yeah you mm-hmm. know it was like people with mohawks and that new wave that total those new glasses, wave look those glasses guys the with eyeliner you know mm-hmm. guys wearing makeup that that flock of seagulls haircut that mm-hmm. covered one eye you know all that shit. yeah um and i was like you know when you're a kid when you're 13 or 14 you you don't think about that kind of shit and now mm-hmm. that you you know after growing up and being in those scenes and you look back and like I've been to Minneapolis I've been to New York I've been to yeah. all these places and they're like that looked like a full on 80s LA crowd
1: well and if you think about that like that's how looks and fashion translated to those areas because mm-hmm. whoever was the costume designer or whatever I mean movies are still for the most part made in new york and la even to this day mm-hmm. you know there's still other um, they, they're, i'm sure there's big production companies in chicago and like even smaller like you know markets seattle maybe you know lots of stuff in texas but it's like the people that Taste makers and, like, you know, the whoever was on that movie, whoever ha- was in charge of the costume design and just fashion and whatever, getting extras, it's, like, those were probably people living in New York or L.A. So yeah. what references did they have? And then you put a movie like that out that's on a big scale, and you got kids that go and see that, that's selling them the idea of, like, oh, well, are you a new waiver or are you – like, at that point in our lives, we already knew what – You see someone walking with a leather jacket and spikes, and it's like, that guy's punk rock. Right, Or even if you just have the same outfit, tight pants, it could even be Doc Martin boots, leather jacket, long hair, that guy's a Hessian. Right. Mohawk, he's punk rock. Right. And it's just all these categorical um, facets that movies in the 80s were a big part of putting that putting those pieces together for you know for us to see the world the way we saw it and eventually that gets like how did how did Hoosker do and the replacements learn how to dress if they didn't either tour a lot which they both did but by other people coming there from other from other places like the Pied Pipers you know like DOA the Ramones yeah. the Dead Kennedys Black Flag you see like the Sex Pistols playing their first trip in LA or their first trip in the United States. In New York. Yeah. Those crowds didn't look like them.
0: No. Not they didn't at all.
1: catch up for a while to be able to develop that whole it's it's almost like, like when the Sex Pistols played in Winterland, that was kinda like the show that they played in Europe, where it's like you got Morrissey in the sh- audience, you got fucking the Buzzcocks in the audience, you got Cure, you know, everybody, Banshees, you know, Joy Division, yeah. Everyone looking and being like, "Oh, I like the energy. I like yeah. this about it. Now I'm gonna take that and go and do this with it. This yeah. could be my interpretation." Um, I don't even know how we got to where we got, and I don't even know why we're talking about that. <laughs> but the the I guess we're talking. You're talking about like how. I was talking about the the people in Minneapolis like not yeah like it the like Minneapolis an LA crowd.
0: the true organic crowd that would be going to First Avenue
1: to watch those bands play. They were probably looking more like the Pacific Northwest back then because yeah. they're wearing fucking flannels, they're wearing they're, they're fucking yeah. freezing, you know. Yeah, they're cold. They're working class. They're, you know. And I'm sure
0: there was people that were edgier and more scene style, you know, scene adjacent because they were hip enough to go to a club that mm-hmm. would be having the time perform yeah, and Prince perform. And,
1: and they were really and, playing
0: at those places. That's, yeah. what's, that's what else is cool about that. Well, that's why they played there. They played that, that benefit um, because that was like their, one of their home stages to play. Um, but I can, I can see being that Prince wrote the first two time records, having the time open up for him In having, you know, a much more cohesive relationship than what's portrayed in the film, but an Mm -hmm. actual, like, we're we're all one big band that's spread out into two. Yeah. Because he wrote the music for the first two Time Time Mm -hmm. Records. Like, you think about, like, how talented, because even though it's in the same vein, a Time song, it doesn't necessarily sound like a Prince song. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like... I can't see him doing Jungle Love, but I can see him doing, like, some of the other slower,
1: like the Ice Cream Castles. Or well, you know which one is both of them? is uh, It's on Pandemonium. It's called My Summertime Thing, and that song is The Latest Fashion. Oh, okay. It's the same exact song, but the time, there's different lyrics for it. And The Latest Fashion is on the Graffiti Bridge, right? I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah I don't know why pandemonium was out everywhere when that came out because jerk out was a big song but um i love that album i remember i bought it i bought it from on a cd and i played the shit out of that it's like ice cream castles and then pandemonium no well they didn't put out many records no um but that was a big gap though because Uh ice cream castles came out when i was in like elementary
0: it came out during this time, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pandemonium came out when I was already in high school. So that's already in uh, like 1990 almost. Okay. So that's a pretty, that's like six or seven years. Yeah. But then he had a fishnet in between that. Fishnet. That was the one, remember Isaac? Isaac? <laughs> <He's> singing fishnet. <laughs> Black pantyhose <laughs> to our cat, Johnny, because he was all like gray. That was that was one of the strangest. <laughs> and then just looking at him, it's like you got caught. <laughs> um, let me let me mention. So look at, there's nine tracks. It's Let's Go Crazy, first song. Uh, that song, I never. That's the wedding. Remember? And the DJ just had a boom box with tapes and it was at American Legion <laughs> Hall and he just put the mic up to the boom box but that, we turned it out. I'll never forget that song and dancing with all our cousins um, like we thought we were in the movie. Right. Um, Take Me With You. That's the second song. That's the one in the movie where they're just riding the bike. Yeah. It's like a music video. Beautiful Ones. Uh... That's the one where he's, like, pleading for Apple, yeah, yeah. Because she sees that, you know, he's a little woman beater, and... That's uh, when she's sitting with Morris. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Computer Blue, that's the one where I think they get kicked off the stage one of the first times, or he's, yeah. like, being all moody. Same with the beautiful ones. And then Darling Nikki, that's the... Mm-hmm. Gets close to being naked. <laughs> But that's such a great scene, too. Yeah. And I always thought that was iconic, too, of, like, him. That's when she runs out. Yeah. Yeah. Him playing a Telecaster. Back then, at the same time, Bruce Springsteen was the Telecaster guy. Yeah. But also, I mean, Keith Richards is and the what's Telecaster his name? guy. Uh, uh, who? Dire Straits. Oh, Mark Knopfler? He's a big, Yeah, a Telecaster. But... But uh, okay. but he played this... It was kind of the same one as The Boss or whatever. Yeah. And then he had that one. It was like a TV yellow fucking amazing guitar. Mm. Um, but anyways, those, uh, that's, so that's the first side. Second side, When Doves Cry, is the biggest song yeah. on the album. I Would Die For You. That's his encore in the movie. Baby, I'm a Star, the last, last song. And then Purple Rain. Um, yeah. Like... Every single song, I would say only for the sake of it just being so off-kilter, which is Computer Blue, like, every song is a hit, you know, whether it charted or not. Like, this album, it's just chock-full of... uh, And it's it's cohesive and diverse at the same time. And then a, a hit... In my opinion,
0: a a hit, a song that is just as big of a hit that's a B-side to one of the singles is Erotic City. Mm. That's a B-side to one of these singles Mm. that came out during this time, and it's him and Sheila E. Yeah,
1: well, that was his bringing her in, wasn't it?
0: Um or they had already worked together they had already worked together I think because I think
1: maybe. glamorous life had maybe the glamorous life was was next I thought that was kind of her springboard but I don't know could have been maybe that could have been her, her sustaining but yeah. the, I remember that song too that song was huge yeah I mean it it, it was bigger than
0: it was bigger than computer blue you know. Well, of course. Computer Blue wasn't a hit. Yeah, but I'm saying it's like and it wasn't even on the fucking record. And well, it was it just didn't a fit on that fucking hit. Because that record
1: was like And it's like R&B. ten minutes. That's an R and B song. Yeah. That's I mean that's like funk. That's like a dance song. Yeah. I don't think any of these songs are dance songs. They're not. No. This is like um Like, early Sade records, I wouldn't consider them to be R&B. They're just, they're that... Can you believe she's 60? That's not that old. I thought she'd be older, actually. Fuck, yeah, I thought that was old. I don't know how old anybody is. I just feel like, because me, I don't know, being middle-aged now, um, it just seems like... Being middle-aged? Huh? being middle-aged it just seems this 44 has better be middle-aged I I don't know how much longer I could be doing this <laughs> I but, was oh man
3: <laughs> 44
1: Um, no but but it just you know like because uh, how old was he when he died he was
0: probably in his 60s I don't know I don't know how old he was. You know, you know what's crazy hmm. is uh, we were supposed to have him on a show. He was 57. 57. Okay. So almost 60. Yeah. I was not that 1958. old. 1958. Um, we were working on a show called Dear Mama. And Alicia Keys was one of our... our uh, I don't know if she was somebody who we, who we presented something to. She was she was some significant portion of the of the of the show, mm-hmm. and in in the you know in the run up to to producing it, one of the things that she had asked was like oh she was like oh you know my mom is a big. Really big, big Prince fan, and her mom was on the sh- was featured on the show. Mm. Like she sang a song to her mom's. So. Oh, she was a singer. Yeah, Alicia Keys. Oh, you t- I thought you were talking about her mom. No, no, I'm saying Alicia Keys was on the show, but because of that, her mom was a t- was a part of it. Oh. Like she was doing something to her mom, but she was saying instead of her performing the song, can can we see about getting Prince? Mm. And so. We were in the process of booking Prince to, to perform on the show. And then when the you know, the talent person was like, Oh, you know, he's not he's not doing performances right now and I remember the day he died or the day it was announced that he died, we were on a conference call and it was a it was an MT was a Viacom show, so it was like people in New York, we were here in LA and we were on this conference call and this Girl just jumped in. She was in New York and she just came in and, into the room over there and she was like, Prince is dead. Everyone assumed that she meant dead in the show, meaning we can't mm. book him, move on. And we were like, everyone just acted like, you know, like you, you get that kind of news all the time. Well, probably you know? her delivery too. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then she was like, Did you people hear me? Prince is dead. And then everyone, then everyone stopped, and we were like, "Wait, wait! Do you mean he, him, he is actually?" So then, of course, everyone breaks out their laptops and starts looking up the news, and it starts hitting. Our meeting was done. We didn't even get to fucking meet. Mm-hmm. You know, our meeting was just canceled, not because he was definitely booked on a showboat, but just because it was like, "Fuck, man, Prince just fucking died," mm-hmm. you know, and like, and, I, and like, is this as a. As a as a weird significance in like my own little career, or whatever. It was just so weird because it was like the last chance of possibly getting to work with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like always having kind of having an adjacentness. Like when when um, Don Misher they did the they did the the halftime show that Prince was on, yeah. and I was in the office on another show, and the call came in. And it was like, hey, Don Prince wants you to go to his house to to have a meeting about you know the upcoming performance or whatever and i was like can i go can i go? <laughs> can i go to can i go to that
3: meeting
1: um you that know was and the it's house like, too like i think there was in the news where he's like he was renting it for like 70 grand a month and the, the neighbors complained because it was too he had like this purple walkway like <laughs> it was like they found it offensive or whatever um but yeah he he
0: so yeah, he he passed away or the the news that he had finally <laughs> passed away had come had hit and our show just was like it wasn't just because it was because it was our show and it was like, you know, our show was totally not significant in this matter whatsoever. But just in the whole terms of like the fact that he died and nobody continued with the meeting. It was mm-hmm. like, Prince is dead. Hang up the phone. Everyone go back and do their own thing, and then yeah. we'll, 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 we'll pick this up tomorrow kind of a thing, even though he wasn't even booked on the show. As far as we knew, he
1: wasn't really going to do it anyway. We had a big impact in, yeah. on, like, over... I mean, and again, I think that it's not even so much of his... Um, because his career spanned so many years he still is one of those artists that just connected for multiple generations and for multiple generations to come because of that just connection that his music has to everybody yeah. you know because for me i didn't i mean i'll be I'll, it's hard to say like I can't say that I'm not a fan of Prince because I love this album we're talking about. I love the movie. I have a handful of his records, and I would like to have more, but up until a certain point. Like, I think after the Symbol album, like, and mind you, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard much of that stuff, but it's almost like, like, I don't remember. I remember seeing the movie Sign of the Times, not in the theater. Um, It didn't, it didn't really do anything for me. Mm. I liked Graffiti Bridge. I liked a lot of those songs, but it's almost like it doesn't it doesn't have what all that early stuff had for me. No, not so, at all. And in you know?
0: this I think the significance of that was he was in a different mental state. Because he was fighting with the record companies at the time. Oh yeah. He was going through that whole period of time where he was like remember he etched out Slave and his beard. Yeah. And he was
1: performing the yeah, very like lacklusterly. A, he turned into a different yeah. artist. And then like in his 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 repercussions. It was years that went
0: by where he didn't put anything out, and then he was the first person to make available music online. Yeah. He did the he was the first person to do the direct um, sale, mm-hmm. like you want my music, you got to sign up for Prince.com or whatever the fucking yeah. website was. And I remember we bought that. Remember we bought that DVD interactive. ROM uh-huh. interactive game, mm-hmm. and it was like a video game that had videos. It's like you would you would get to a certain point and you can watch a video, you can play. Piano, guitar, like he went through this like weird mansion, and like everything
1: led to like you know you went to an elevator and went down to the club. Maybe you can go into a studio and like do weird mixes, yeah, and
0: like you can play with
1: the fucking. Well, like it was pretty cutting edge technology.
0: Way it was just like I way ahead of its, way ahead of its time, mm-hmm. you know. And like he just had his, he just had like his brain was able to like like wrap around ideas. Better than anybody at the time that they were trying to get this she shit going. To execute him. Well, he yeah. was visionary, and that's why I was saying, like in the beginning of this, I said I didn't even know he was on Spotify. I thought that Spotify couldn't carry his music. I didn't know anybody can carry his music, but now I'm happy that they do. Even though I, you know, I have like my own digital copies of everything and, that's, and some
1: records. That's the thing that's that just sucked. Where you know there was all these different formats that try to come out and be different and like there was like topspin there was the um the uh what's it called uh at a point like Neil Young, you couldn't find his music on like iTunes mm. or whatever. Remember, like it was a big deal when the Beatles—they were like they were like the the biggest holdout. Yeah, um, and it just sucks where all the artists they want the world to have their music. They know what that means, but at the same time, if you want to, you got to put your foot down too for your art. You can't just keep getting fucked, and it just sucks that the public gets. In between that in between the business and the art and we're the ones that suffer yeah when there's those moments like i remember when prince died and i still had apple music at that point which now i have spotify it's like fucking pepsi and coke at this point uh which spotify's coke i guess uh it won um i think it's a little more prevalent than any other music streaming service I could be wrong, whatever. Anyways. No, I think it is. I remember when Prince died, like, I wanted to hear some Prince music, and I couldn't find shit, even on no. like YouTube. Hey, and you I did to respect the... that, but at the same time, I was like, fuck, man, like, yeah. you know, that sucks. That's I'm sure Prince, you know, never wanted to be, to have anything in between his music and the people, because it's not the people. And we, as the public, would gladly pay we do pay in in ways that we do but when the money doesn't get to where it's supposed to go that's bullshit yeah and who loses the fucking the the whatever whoever's running the shit never loses and the thing that's awful is when whoever's behind that it's like you don't know what it's like to be a fan you don't know what it's like to have something change your life or be a reflection of your life like this is like music is such a yeah mate. i think it holds so, so much more of a of a interconnective power with humanity than like Pieces of artwork. Not everybody can understand art. But you could put a Ramones record on and that shit could fucking charge you up like you just had a fucking shot of, you know, whatever. Like uh, fucking cortis- cortisone. Yeah. Or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, um, Yeah, and even like the ticket agencies, they,
0: they ruin a big part of the music experience. Oh, my God, and yeah. Like, you know, like...
1: Service charge this. I was
0: just thinking about this when I was like... I was at a show not too long ago at the Palladium. <clears throat> and, you know, I have connections there. They so They charge way too much money. So you I get can know. get, like, VIP access, and I go upstairs and be, you know, and not have to be on that floor, which I'm too old to be on the floor now. Um, but I remember going to shows back in the day, and there was never that space between the stage and the crowd. Now there's this, like, standard barricade where it's, like, eight feet away you know what I mean? They lose like
1: they can fit two hundred more people. Yeah, in
0: there. and not, but that's, but not just that. It's like it's it's almost like you're you're creating this like different sensation of like of you're just a person who had to pay for a ticket to come in here. You're no longer a part a part of the experience. It's a disconnect. It's a disconnect. Like mm-hmm. you guys stay over there. They're gonna be up here, everyone's gonna be on their phone taking video and taking photos, and it's like it's a different it's a it's a, a disconnected experience. And this this thing had just come out that I had just read the other day. This has nothing to do with Prince or or purple rain or anything like that, but most deaf just released his new record and the only way to hear it is to go to a museum. And you have to go into a museum and you have to Be amongst this like exhibit, and you get a headphone and you get you walk around, and I don't know how many tracks are on the album, but you can't, you even after you do this experience, you can't play it back on any and any other device. Hmm. And like, I don't think Mo's Def is worthy of that kind of no, like, experience. I'm not saying I don't like him, I'm not a fan of his, yeah, but I'm just thinking in, in the sense of like. At a time where we're living in this, like where so much disconnection is happening, that is the most that you can do to make it apparent that you are even that much more disconnected from your fan base, Mm -hmm. and like a person like do that, huh?
1: Who's gonna actually do that? I mean, and that's the thing that I I it's
0: it's it's
1: open right now. I could respect the that seems like something that's to me in a way that's like when the velvet underground played at the plastic inevitable like shows like you know mm-hmm. they were but that was because they were under you know Andy Warhol's guy like they were his guidance and they were like an art house band yeah and the only way to see this band is to be like they were an installation if you you know that's what they were yeah um i could respect the idea, but again, where it's like, man, the public is now, like, handicapped at listening to your new album, you know? Like, I make music. I want people to fucking hear it, you yeah. know? Like, and the way that things are, like, when we had that show, we, the Slayer episode, and we are talking with Mark, like, the way that we found out about so much music as kids was tape recording older brothers record collections and then taping our own trading you know this yeah. right here now someone could make a playlist on spotify and share it with you it's kind yeah. of the same mentality if anything it's easier to do all the things that we did back then with the technological advances. It's it's just a faster tool to do the same stuff. Yeah. You know, so in that sense, like, I think that's great. You know, like, we could, there could be someone, you know, we can have friends like uh, Teresa, our friend. I like think she lives in London now. I think that's the last thing I saw. Um, yeah, she's there for, I don't know if she moved or lives there, but she's there for a short period of time, yeah, or like, she, extended period of time. She could find out about someone out there and let all of us know about it the next yeah. day or the same day and in real time exactly yeah and it's like that i like you know yeah. but like uh, what are you gonna oh man uh i'm taking next saturday out because i'm gonna go listen to nemo's death i'm like how many people are actually gonna do that <laughs> yeah and it's like i'm not i'm not trying to say
0: the thought i had the the reason i had that in my head because a person like prince I would say, I don't think he would ever have that inclination to be like that pretentious. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because he was the opposite. He wanted to give his music straight to the fans. That's why he created the website. But, But what I was thinking is, is someone who can do, someone who has the weight to pull off something like that would be an artist like him. He would be more, it would be more organic for him to do something like that. But I don't think he would let you just he he may have had an envision for you to experience it that way, but it wouldn't keep you from being able to continue to experience it after
2: that.
1: Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's <laughs> well, not locked down. And way. I think that he, like, the innovations that he made and the other ways that he influenced people, like, I think of, and I'm not a fan whatsoever of Radiohead, of their music. I, there's some of it that I like, but I, I like, If I never, ever get into them or buy one of their records, I'll be fine. There's enough other stuff to keep me occupied. But I do appreciate that they were not a one-hit wonder, that they did become so uh, relevant for a certain, you know... I guess they're... I mean, they are a reflection of my generation, but I feel like the people that really got into them are maybe a little younger, younger, or at least I just... I don't know. I, don't, I I didn't freak out about them. Um, anyways, when they put that record out, whatever record it was, when they just released it, like, you pay whatever you want for oh, it. Oh, in rainbows. I thought that was awesome. Because yeah. that was just pay a band that yeah. big, having the balls to just be like, you know what? All this bullshit you guys are fucking with, we're still going to be a fucking band, and we're going to put out a new record, and we're going to have the... F- we're not going to... U2 fucking creates a fucking phone and they're forcing it down your throat. That's another band that has a lot of, you know, power and a lot of influence. And it's like, that was a huge turnoff. Like, yeah. that's lame, you know? I but, don't think it was so much U2 as, as, as much as it was Apple. But they still... I think they... I mean, come on. They no, still I know, but I'm saying I think have, they
0: got suckered into something that it was
1: more Apple's push than U2's push but don't you see like someone like Most stuff and he's nowhere near that level Yeah. but it was someone in his camp that was like you know what fuck this and fuck them oh, let's yeah. only make this like maybe that wasn't his straight idea but that represents him as an artist because right. those choices have been made and that's gonna dictate whether you're gonna fucking continue to be a fan and you're gonna wait to hear that album because you don't have time to go to the fucking art show to go fucking listen like you know yeah, you know what it would have been different if he would have done something like
0: multiple museums doing it at the same time at the same day or something like going to a theater going to a, a movie theater mm. and being able to do it all at one time yeah but it's literally one museum in brooklyn yeah and i don't know if it's going to move or how what his plan is yeah but it's falling short for sure well, but, yeah i think that's i don't but know but like the whole Again, the whole I respect like the concept uh, of it yeah, like the whole like like Radiohead's model for just saying, look, you don't even have to steal this record. We have the high quality digital versions here. Take it
1: or pay us whatever you think and it's wasn't, worth. Wasn't it that most people were
0: paying market and price, and they actually made more money by doing it that way,
1: of course, than they would have had they done a traditional sale. And that's that's why like that. Right there is enough for me to just be like, man, that's awesome because they used that platform in a way that and I don't necessarily I don't think it was a game changer. I don't think many other people followed suit with it, but the fact that they did it and they fucking made a success out of it and it's like, fuck, they're the ones that did all that work. They deserve everything everything, all the fruit that it bears, you know, not the guy that fucking, well, we're going to fucking, you know, we're going to ship out uh, a million overseas and we're going to ship out a million here and it's going to be going these markets. It's like that takes work too. I'm not saying that, but it's like, this—that's the same guy that could be packaging fucking frozen chicken. That's—that's that's going into you know—that's representing Tyson, just like it would be the chicken is Radiohead and the fucking Tyson is Warner Brothers. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like that middleman. Why the fuck is he fucking living? You know, in the Pacific Palisades? It's like because of all these other people that fucking put him there. It's—it's it's bullshit. Whatever. Um, but. I'm going to just jump right into it and say that I would give this album a solid, like, no, not one doubt about a 10.
2: I I'm uh, echo that for sure. And I would say
0: 10 for the album and probably because the movies get five.
1: Five stars? Do they get 10? I think it's four. I don't know. It could be five. It, 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 Everything, like, some stars are three. Michelin stars are three fucking. Like, because it's like
0: okay, an amateur, it's, it's an amateur cast, for sure.
1: Because yeah. none of
0: these people are actors. No. It's an amateur cast. It's like rudimentary, you know, rudimentary, rudimentarily. I don't even know what that word is. Um, it's a relatively simple story. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. No, there's a big actor. What's his name?
1: Who? The the dad,
0: Clarence. Oh,
1: yeah. I guess he's the biggest He's the only
0: one. big known actor in the movie. But he wasn't that big then. But he wasn't a big part of the movie. That's Samson <laughs>
1: Simpson. <laughs> um, I think Morris Day is this is the star, though. Morris Day is definitely didn't the star. He doesn't even seem like he's acting. No, he's not acting. He's, that's who he is. Jerome and him top-notch um I'm like remember when apollonia she's all because when he's trying to sneak her out and they're all drunk yeah and then she's like hey where's jerome and he goes
2: in his skin like what the fuck are you doing
1: um so, but yeah like
0: hands down 10 for the album whatever the the the, the rating is for movies like it it's such a memorable movie and you think about it it's like there's no there's nobody who should be in a movie in it yeah. you know it's just the music the story is is it's a simple story but it's easy to follow it's got great you know footage it's got great uh you know it's mostly just about that vibe you're like you like you said you feel like you're there yeah you know it's a concert I film with, movie. it's like it's like, you know how in uh, Song Remains the Same, they go off and they do their little yeah.
1: vignette action things. It's like, that's so, it doesn't fit with the, with yeah. the movie. But see, that, and that's a good, that's a good example because now think about when that was made. That was made during, 70s? during their, um, I think it was during the House of the Holy Tour. Mm. So it was like 73. Yeah. So... They didn't fucking know what they were doing back yeah. then, you know? Every other movie, like, what what came after that? Like, The Last Waltz, Martin Scorsese? But that's just, that's the, just band the band playing. Yeah. They're playing at, Was it Winterland or the Fillmore? Yeah. I think it's Winterland. Um, But um, it needed movies like that to exist. Song remains the same. So then it turns into your Purple Rain. Yeah. You know, where it's like, oh, well, let's take this concept, you know. Um, and there was a movie, because kind of La Bamba-ish, I would say La Bamba
0: is on par with this movie in the sense of, like, how the story goes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, real, rep, but just, not...
1: It's, it's just a snippet, though. Yeah, La but... Because
0: kind of a whole career. But it didn't have the actual musicians in it the way this one did.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, Isai Morales is not
0: a drummer. But there was a movie, I don't know if you even know this movie, it's called The Idol Maker. You ever see that movie? Mm. It's kind of like uh, an Eddie in the Cruisers, mm. but with a with a solo performer that's kind of got the same, like that fifties like uh, heartthrob mm. kind of like you Buddy know. Holly?
1: No, more than or more like th- Dion, more like Vivian. a Dion,
0: more like a Dion, because mm. he wasn't he wasn't uh, you know he moved and danced like kind of like a what's his name? The Bobby Why do fools fall in love? like oh, that movie Frankie Lyman? Frankie Lyman, yeah. Oh, okay. But this was a white guy who did like he had like that Elvis hair and he had like this whole stage but like I feel like the idol maker was of was a a shell for how this movie was When did that made. come when did that come out? I wanna say in the 70s. Hmm. I never cuz I know the but it could Hallie have been early 80, like maybe 1980. Mm. But I remember seeing it. You know how I saw it was when we had on TV mm. back in the day. And I was—it was just like it was very—it appealed to me because it was that whole like musician performance thing,
1: yeah, like that. Yeah, I watch—I watch any movie about music. Well, um, not any. Like I'm not gonna get super. Yeah, it there. was. I'd it was 1980, Randy. The Idol Maker, 1980. Who's in it?
0: Um, gosh, doesn't even—it doesn't even have like any anybody, anybody famous in it. I don't even. But, know. I mean, Peter Gallagher's in it.
1: Okay. I think he might be the singer. Hmm. That might have been one of his furly, furly his early roles. Peter Gallagher.
0: Oh uh, shit Ray Sharkey. I don't know if he even Joe Panagliano. Oh yeah,
1: that's fucking uh that's Guido the Killer Pimp. No, I know who he is. Oh, what's her name is in it? Uh uh Marsha. And he was in the Bomba. He plays the fucking the guy that discovers That's the trains, right. Bob. That's right, and then Marsha from the Brady
0: Bunch is in it. Mm. But it's got that Maureen, I yeah, Maureen McCormick. It's mm. got that feel that I would say that this is kind of like if if you had to like say, oh, was this movie structured after it? And maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but it felt a lot like that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. So. You ever you ever seen that movie Joe versus the volcano? Mm-hmm. That's Tom Hanks. Tom right? Hanks. Yeah. And then meet Joe Black. With, with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Yeah. So this makes no sense. Those are completely different movies. Completely different movies. They just they're both they got Joe, Joe in the title. At one point, I could have sworn that meet Joe Black anything about the movie. I've never seen the movie, obviously, but I thought that movie, the star, which I guess is Brad Pitt, I thought that at the end of the movie, he turned into a gorilla. (laughs) I don't know where I got that from. But Ladies then I thought well, if it's not that movie, is it Joe versus the volcano? Because doesn't he jump into the What's volcano? the name of that weed you've been smoking? Birthday cake? <laughs> space cake? <laughs> 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 space cake. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if
0: you're out of luck dispensary and you see a jar of space cake, do not smoke
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was Joe versus the volcano. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this movie he turned into a gorilla <laughs> this movie doesn't exist apparently until I saw midsummer ah that's the closest because they put him in the bear suit and then they burn him up alive in a bear suit that's the Whoa. closest I've ever gotten to the guy turning into a gorilla at the end of the movie there's a guy turns into a gorilla in for in a what movie in uh, trading places. That's. I guess maybe that's. Maybe it just is in this compartment in my head. Um, no, that's that beaks. is a hundred percent space cake. <laughs> no, this is pre space cake. I've been thinking this pre and post space cake. My is,
0: life. Pre and post space cake has to be a fucking. Increment of your I've life. I've been
1: on the case for fifteen <laughs> years of trying to figure out which movie this is. Oh my god!
0: All right, well, this episode is wrapped for <laughs> no. uh, show. Um, what we're going we to do next? We're going to do a movie.
1: No, we're going to do oh movies. i like yeah, I'd like to like segue. But you know, what, another thing. Um, so so Pat wants to do. He wants to do the
0: Joker. <clears throat> I think it'll be fun to do it because he liked it and I didn't. So, I think that'll be on on the on the books for one of the the future episodes.
1: Well, I'd like I'd also like to do because this is a soundtrack that's also a movie. I'd like to do a kind of like a retrospective of like Wes Anderson and like that's the one the I'm the definitely, soundtracks I definitely want to do that the one because um, he's got a, at least two right in the middle that are, like, huge. Like, yeah. Royal Ton of Bombs and um, Rushmore Bomb. are both super yeah. influential soundtracks and movies. And even, like, the stuff in Bottle Rocket, there's a lot of good yeah. music in that. But anyways, we should, we should save that. But, yeah, the Purple Rain, the last thing I wanted to say, I remember um, meeting someone, and a little bit younger, maybe... want to say five to eight years younger than me um so we're talking about prince and like man yeah you like prince yeah awesome of course like how can you not like prince and then we're talking about purple rain the song i thought we were talking about the movie and i got excited i was like man i love that movie and this girl was like yeah i didn't really like the movie and i'm like thinking you know she's younger whenever i'm like i'm like but did you see it she's like oh yeah i saw it And I was just like, I kind of, it kind of made me like, not that I don't like her, but I was just like, that kind of sucks, because how can you not like that movie? I don't know. I don't know if it was an age difference. It definitely is like a time capsule for like, even how you're saying how like the crowd, the crowd's very 80s, like looking. Um, But again, if you don't like Prince, you suck. (laughs) If you don't like Prince,
0: go get on that space cake.
1: And then tell me, a, please. Get on a fucking Which pair of roller skates. Is it where the guy turns into a gorilla? <laughs> at the end, I'll be here. All right, so
0: we're going to smoke a bunch of space cake and talk about one of these movies coming up.
2: I. Right, peace. Bye.